Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 13th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. And I'm going early because it's just too much. It, it's, my God. It's just too much. It just won't stop. The world has gone crazy. Sean in Oregon shared with me um, stories and he shared me pictures of his local big supermarket and literally nothing. I mean, toilet paper section, gone. Um, he sent me uh, a picture. Schools in Oregon closed. And the most amazing thing is if you actually, you literally look at the facts, the kids can be carriers. They 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 don't get affected by the virus. There's a seven-month-old baby that lived. Um, it, it's, it's almost disturbing that people are freaking out this much. Um, Governor Brown on Thursday announced the closure, which will continue through March 31st. Spring break across the state scheduled from the 23rd to the 27th, but they're closing to the 31st. And there's just not the numbers for it. We, we don't have the numbers for it. It's all partisan or it's like climate change. It's the amount that is worst case scenario. When it, it just doesn't make any sense. I just, I am, I, it's crazy land. We're in crazy land right now. People are losing their fucking minds and we don't have that many cases. Even if the cases, I read a study the other day, 2,000, if we, if we exponentially say, okay, people that didn't get tested in New York starting drive through testings, that would be 2,000. And I know I, I didn't really say welcome to the show or talk about anything else. I just went right in, but that, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So New York's going to do drive-through testings, and, and even when we end up with 2,000, and every six days, if you go off to China and Italy, it exponentially doubles every six days. So that's what people are coming up with a million people if we didn't cordon and go crazy like we are now, which, you know, in certain areas, it makes sense. If you're in Seattle, close the fucking schools, close the mall, close everything. You've had deaths. You've had a lot of cases. Where I live... There's 18 total cases. They're in Memphis and Tennessee. There were two inside the area that were non-positives, and they closed schools. Am I saying no, go expose everybody? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the overzealousness, there's a, there is a impact for this. Businesses, financial, right now, it, it's not, the virus that could end the United States. It's the pandemonium. It'll affect businesses. It'll affect the stock market. It'll affect everything. I mean, if we go super crazy on this, you won't have food, folks. It comes by trucks. Trucks won't drive because people will stay home. That's how it works. In the end, the zombie apocalypse doesn't kill everybody with zombies. It kills it with the shutdown of basic functions. 
no police department, no fire department, no banks. I've gotten three bank letters um, via email literally telling me as much as possible, bank online. I have a loan. I, I don't go to the place to pay it. But it's pandemonium. And it's been brought on by a media who wants pandemonium. A media who wants to do the opposite of whatever Trump says, regardless of what he does, they're going to do the exact opposite of it. And they're going to ratchet it up because he said it wasn't that big a deal. When he said that, he was dead on. Coronavirus wasn't a big deal in America. He was doing what a president's supposed to do, calm people down. Remember, a million people got affected by swine flu. 12,000 people died. It was more than a million. What was the number? It's it's an insane number of Americans, something like 11 million, and 12,500 died. We did not do this for swine flu. We just didn't. Worldwide deaths are not equivalent to what we're doing. And it's brought on by our media. Here's just one soundbite of many. And today is a lot of soundbites. But I'm trying to prove the point and getting it across. The pandemonium isn't the virus. It's the media's reaction to get Trump to get Biden elected that is causing you to have no toilet paper anywhere. Now that you've had a couple of minutes to absorb what the president proposed and what he said, let me ask you what was most important, uh, most interesting to you about what he announced. Well, I think the unevenness and inexplicability of this travel restriction. It is so um, enraging that the U.S. testing situation is continues to be a fiasco this far into it. We seem to be stuck in neutral and unable to improve on this terrible situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a failure of leadership by the president and his task force. One thing I put a star on is I think we ought to watch for what's going to be a pivot, I predict, in the Trump administration rhetoric. I think increasingly they're going to say, hey, this is a state and local problem. We're here to provide technical expertise, but solving this will be up to governors and up to mayors. I think they're going to try to push this problem downward. The federal government does have tools. Who should we trust? Well, I absolutely trust Dr. Fauci. I trust the career officials at the Centers for Disease Control. But I, I worry that they are being muzzled by the president. They're being forced to soft-pedal their advice. When you have a crisis like this, the deep state is what fights the crisis like this. It's the men and women who are permanent government servants who are the people who work with me on the Bola response. They're still there. They're great people, great scientists, great public servants. They need to be turned loose to solve this problem, not distrusted and sidelined. I invite viewers to compare uh, what they learned from Ron Klain in yeah. your last 45 minutes of discussion to what they've been hearing from Trump administration officials, not the medical professionals, but the actual White House staff, because that's what Ron Klain was in the Obama White House. He, he was in a position uh, without medical expertise, but with expertise about how to make government work, how to make arms of the government work together mm -hmm. in a crisis like this. 
Uh, and of course, he did pick up a great deal of expertise uh, about this kind of situation and about the medical elements of this situation. And I haven't heard anyone uh, from the Kellyanne Conways to the Larry Kudlows to these uh, Trump appointees within the White House who have anything like the command of this subject that Ron Klain has in one sentence. Not only the, the lack of command, but the overt publicly, uh, excuse me, politically convenient disinformation. Mm -hmm. Those two people you just cited, Kellyanne Conway and Larry Kudlow, both saying, this is contained. Kudlow saying almost airtight, you know, as the, as the number of U.S. cases started low and, and headed toward a, over a thousand where it is now. The overt disinformation from the president on down um, has been, is, is actually one of the serious challenges that we've got as a country in terms of how we're going to deal with this. Um, and I don't think anybody was under any illusions that they'd handle this well. I'm not sure that any of us were cynical enough to expect. Mr. Trump has spoken publicly about the coronavirus almost daily, but this would mark the first time in such a formal setting from the Oval Office. And it underscores the gravity of today's developments. Wei Zhejiang reports tonight from the White House. Tonight, damage control at the White House. Top health officials were summoned to a last-minute meeting with President Trump as he prepared to address the nation and reassure the public the government has a handle on the coronavirus. This as the market crashed once again over fears of the virus, closing down nearly 1,500 points. Now we're hitting a patch and we're going to have to do something. The nation's top expert on infectious diseases issued his starkest warning yet. If we are complacent and don't do really aggressive containment and mitigation, the number could go way up and be involved in many, many millions. Concerned members of Congress said they appreciated Dr. Anthony Fauci's honesty, but slammed the president for endangering their constituents. This administration was not prepared for this crisis, and it put lives at risk, American lives. The Trump administration's testing for the coronavirus has been severely inadequate. And Weijia, what else can we expect from the president's speech tonight? Well, the president says this is a time for unity and strength as the entire world fights against the common enemy of coronavirus. And he coronavirus, and he insists that nothing matters more to him than the safety and health of Americans. But of course, critics say those are just words. So he's going to have to really lay out a plan for how he plans to contain this. And he says he does have one when it comes to both public health and the economy. Uh, it was about uh, 11 minutes in the Oval Office there. The president, um, with a um, sort of a strange affect. Uh, it, he doesn't have an easy time reading from the teleprompter. It's got to be stressful for anybody to give a speech from the Oval Office from a teleprompter like that. But still, uh, the president seeming to struggle a little bit simply to get the words out. So I think there's a lot of bluster in these travel bans. There so far hasn't been much public health results in these travel bans. And the, the fundamental point here, Rachel, is this. This disease is here. We don't know how much it's here because we haven't tested to find out how much it's here, but it's here. And certainly restricting forward travel may slow the pace of its further spread here. But the president tonight should have focused on what he's doing in this country to protect the American people from this disease that is here already. And we didn't hear much about that tonight. Chris? You know, the expression, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When all you have is a wall, everything looks like an invasion. And that is the way that they've approached this from the beginning. It is profoundly worrying to me. The president is still talking about this in the way that he talks about 
the migrant caravan. It is a failure of leadership of the Trump administration. He is doing anything he can to move the conversation elsewhere, to get us to talk about something else, and not focus the fact that even tonight, even in that Oval Office address, all he could say about testing is, we're going to do more of it sometime, yeah. some number of people, We're, get, somehow, we're getting to it. We're getting yeah. there, right? That's, that's job one. That's job number one. Though it also struck me to hear the president bluntly say, the, for the vast majority of Americans, the risk is very, very, very low. Assuring Americans that you're not going to get it. Meanwhile, what we're hearing from public health folks is we should prepare yeah. that in epidemiological terms, it's quite likely you might get it. Right. Um, and that's the sort of thing that we need to plan for. And we need to be planning our capacity, our public health capacity as a country to deal. With. First, Jim, is that the speech that was expected? I think that is the speech that was expected. I think it, it went well beyond what any of us really thought. I, I don't think many of us were expecting the president to announce a travel ban from Europe uh, for 30 days starting at Friday uh, at midnight. Uh, that is stunning. That is that is going to cause major disruptions uh, to the travel industry, and it is going to cause all kinds of problems that we uh, haven't seen since the Trump administration tried its travel ban. Uh, very early on in the administration, we saw people waiting at the airport and so on, wondering if loved ones are going to get back from Europe. So it is going to be interesting to find out what the details are for administration officials in terms of how they're going to implement that. The other thing, Chris, that I think we should point out, at one point during this address, uh, the president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. Uh, that, that I think was interesting because as I was talking to sources earlier this evening, one of the points that the president wanted to make tonight, wanted to get across to Americans, is that this virus did not start here, uh, but that they're dealing with it. Now, why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus, that is something we'll also be asking questions about, but it, it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller, uh, who is an immigration hardliner who advises the president, is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speechwriters, right. uh, was a driving force in writing this speech. And I think it's going to spack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as spacking of uh, xenophobia, uh, right. to use that kind of term in this speech, Chris. Well, look, sometimes we can answer the questions. And the answer is he's doing it to put blame somewhere else. We've seen over the last few days McCarthy uh, and others saying the Chinese coronavirus, the Wuhan coronavirus. We get right. that. It can't be the main concern uh, right now. Uh, as the coronavirus plays out around the world, we're witnessing in real time how the quality of leadership in a country matters. It matters how transparent and, frankly, competent a government is in a time of crisis like this. Here in the U.S., the Trump administration has struggled to present a coherent and unified message about the coronavirus outbreak. Careening from downplaying it, with Trump tossing it off as a political hoax, so just seemingly scrambling. Believe that it's real. Like, don't believe that it's a hoax, even if uh, an, an official, let's say, government tells you. Um, and we should note his favorite news channel has been it's echoing him. Trump has some other ideas, like doing a payroll tax cut through the end of the year, which, let's just be clear, would reduce the funding source for Social Security and Medicare. And, as if on cue, offering tax relief for impacted tourism-related industries like hotels, airlines, and cruise lines. Hotels, you say? What about this idea? And I don't, I don't really understand what it, how it relates to coronavirus. But it appears that Donald Trump would like to pursue federal aid to shale oil companies, uh, shale companies <laughs> hit by the oil shock, 
and the coronavirus damage. Right. What does that have to do with I, I, what people are suffering right now? The people who are going to lose jobs and lose opportunities are like waitresses and people who work in small restaurants. Right. But it appears that Donald Trump's focus, as um, the leader of the, your, your Senate leader has said, are banks, shale oil companies, rich folks who are all lighted up at the tiller. The thing that struck me, and I think a lot of people, was this hotels idea. That Donald Trump, let's just put up a list of the hotels that he has something to do with, whether he owns them or leases right. them out. And those are all over the world, all over the country, but all over the world. John, that's what I think. And I, I think can we be need to serious and yes. sit here and tell you four plus four equals 85. I'm serious. That doesn't mean that I'm right. The information he gave was not right. You have to come back and clarify several times information that you gave. Listen, I tried to cut him a break at the top of the show. You mean, show. like, who's going to get back into the country? You mean, that, what, what, what is it in the clarification that you thought was so terrible? Tell me what you thought was so I didn't say so I thought bad. it was terrible. It I'm telling you that we're in the middle of, of a pandemic speech. right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And <laughs> every know. time this president comes out, he gives inaccurate information. So I don't understand why he would even come out and do it at all if he is going to confuse the American people even more. You don't understand that? You're a governor. I, I'm surprised that you don't understand that. It's no, not going to help. No, no, Don, I do, under, no, I, I do, do understand it? it. Look, I'm just trying to tell you that I thought his tone tonight was good. So he had to clarify something, okay? 98% of what he did was good. And what we wanted was a seriousness out of the president to tell people that things are not good and they're probably going to get worse. And I'm not saying this is going to disappear or go away. This is very serious stuff. Now, if you got to clarify, are you still going to let products come into the country? I, okay, I wish it, it didn't have to do it, but it doesn't take away from what I thought was the seriousness of, of the matter. Because we all have to understand how serious it is. And I'm not deflecting or running away. What I am telling you is... There is so much time spent on what we haven't done, and we can go back and do that. And I'm glad to come on here and talk about what we didn't do. But what I want to talk about now is what are we going to do in the okay, need John, say that. I'll let you. I don't know if he stuck to the script or not, but the, whatever script he read I, I, was wrong because they've had to clarify it several times. And I just got to say, if the president came I, out to I, calm I, I, people's fears... He didn't do a good job of it because they've had to come back and clarify it several times. And th this has been going on long he, enough I, for them to get it okay. straight. We need straight, accurate you know information what, from this president yeah. and this administration, and we're not yeah. getting it. And I don't understand why you are tiptoeing around it. He came out, gave an address that, oh, that usually you know ha that happens very rarely, and he doesn't get it right? I'm going to tell you, first of all, he read it. And somebody that wrote this, look, I don't want to get into that. He, what was well, on I know. That's why and, you're here to talk about the president's can I, address. Can I finish now? No, but Let no, 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 you Let can't, John. John, because we're here to talk oh, about I the president's talk. Wait, we're here. I don't want you to, I don't want you to go on and deflect and talk about something else because we're here to talk about the president's address. And, and you said that someone else wrote it. He's the president. Even if someone Look, else he, wrote it, it should be I right. know he did. And he has to be, Don, Don. He put he put this thing out because there was some confusion out there. Okay, this now is there's a more very confusion, John. And what I look look, I'm gonna, I'm trying to say to you, Don, we got to move down the road. Looking back doesn't get things fixed. We're not I'm looking not back. The president's why, address. Why, why the president's why address was tonight. That is the newest I I information. Think his address tonight will, is the I think president's it was address. I think it was fine. That's what I think. You, you think the wrong, you think inaccurate information that you have to come back right and clarify tone. two or three times, you think that's fine?
I, look, I thought he did fine. That's what I thought. I thought he had the right tone, and he no longer played around with "we're going to blame Democrats" or "we're forget this stuff." He, he's, I hope he's trying to move forward because he understands the seriousness of this situation. Now, the fact that they clarified it isn't unusual in a speech for somebody to to clarify something. Okay, but I don't think that the tone he showed tonight takes away from. Some clarification. I think he set a serious tone. That's what I wanted out of him for a long time. And David Axelrod, and we'll come to you in one second, David Gregory. I promise. But you actually have an example of where. Look, I don't think you had to correct yourself in the Obama no. administration over an Oval Office address. But after the Gulf oil spill, yes. there was an Oval Office address, and you actually regret it. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. It was one of the big mistakes, communications-wise, that we made when I was in the White House. We felt it was important to get the president in front of the country to talk about this leak in the Gulf of Mexico, but we really didn't have a solid answer about how we were going to stop it uh, at that juncture. And so the president's speech underwhelmed, and it actually made things worse rather than better. But honestly, that was like the Gettysburg Address compared to what we saw. He does what they say he needs to do, and then they trash him. CBS, he's in damage control, needs more than just words. MSNBC, Trump's corona speech is a distraction, strange, weird, worrying. Acosta declares Trump corona address was xenophobic. Joy Reid, our lying, fear-mongering, trashing Trump on corona. It, I mean, what the fuck? If this isn't politics, why would you do that? He's trying to calm the country? Oh, no, 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 no. It can't work. We're witnessing in real time how the quality of leadership in the country matter. And it matters how transparent and frankly competent a government is in time of crisis like this. Because Trump has gone from tossing it off as a political hoax to just seemingly scrambling Axelrod. Obama Gulf spill was Gettysburg Address. Then you have Don Lemon screaming at somebody because they won't bash Trump. I don't know if he stuck to the script or not, but the, whatever script he read I, I, was wrong because they've had to clarify it several times. And I just got to say, if the president came I, out to I, calm I, I, people's fears... He didn't do a good job of it because they've had to come back and clarify it several times. And th this has been going on long he, enough I, for them to get it okay. straight. We need straight, accurate you know information what, from this president yeah. and this administration, and we're not yeah. getting it. And I don't understand why you are tiptoeing around it. He came out, gave an address that old, that usually you know had, that happens very rarely, and he doesn't get it right? I'm going to tell you, first of all, he read it. And somebody that wrote this, look, I don't want to get into that. He what well, was on today. That's why you're here to talk about the president's can I, address. Can I finish now? No, but Let no, 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 no. You Let can't, John. John, because we're here to talk oh, about I the president's. Wait, we're here. I don't want you. To, I don't want you to go on and deflect and talk about something else because we're here to talk about the president's address. And and you said that someone else wrote it. He's the president. Even if someone Look, else he, wrote it, it should be. I know right. he did, and he has to be. Don, Don. He put he put this thing out because there was some confusion out there. Okay, this now is there's a more very confusion, John. And what I look look, I'm gonna, I'm trying to say to you, Don, we got to move down the road. Looking back doesn't get things fixed. We're not I'm looking not back. Ask, the president's address, more, the president's address was tonight. That is the newest I information. I think his address tonight will is I the think president's address. 
I think it was fine. That's what I think. You, you think, think the wrong, you think me. inaccurate information that you have to it come back right and clarify tone. two or three times, you think that's fine? Uh, I, look, I thought he did fine. That's what I thought. I thought he had the right tone, and he no longer played around with, we're going to blame Democrats, or we're, forget this stuff. He, he's, I hope he's trying to move forward, because he understands the seriousness of this situation. Now, the fact that they clarified, it isn't unusual in a speech for somebody to, to clarify something, okay? But I don't think that the tone he showed tonight takes away from some clarification. I think he set a serious tone. That's what I wanted out of him for a long time, and I think we got it. John. That's what I think. And I, I think can we be need serious and yes. sit here and tell you four plus four equals 85. I'm serious. That doesn't mean that I'm right. The information he gave was not right. You have to come back and clarify several times information that you gave. Listen, I tried to cut him a break at the top of the show. You mean, show. like, who's going to get back into the country? You mean, that, what, what, what is it that the clarification that you thought was so terrible? Tell me what you thought was I didn't was say so I bad. thought it was terrible. I'm telling you that we're in the middle of a of pandemic speech. right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And every time this president comes out, he gives inaccurate information. So I don't understand why he would even come out and do it at all if he is going to confuse the American people even more. You don't understand that? You're a governor. I, I'm surprised that you don't understand that. If no, you're not going to help, no, no, Don, if you're I not do going under, to be accurate, no, I, why I do, do it? I do understand it. Look, I'm just trying to tell you that I thought his tone tonight was good. So he had to clarify something, okay? 98% of what he did was good. And what we wanted was a seriousness out of the president to tell people that things are not good and they're probably going to get worse. And I'm not saying this is going to disappear or go away. This is very serious stuff. Now, if you got to clarify, are you still going to let products come into the country? I, okay, I wish it, it didn't have to do it, but it doesn't take away from what I thought was the seriousness of, of the matter. Because we all have to understand how serious it is. And I'm not deflecting or running away. What I am telling you is... There is so much time spent on what we haven't done, and we can go back and do that. And I'm glad to come on here and talk about what we didn't do. But what I want to talk about now is what are we going to do in the Okay, John, say that. I'll let you talk about that on the other. He had to clarify because every time he says something, you guys nitpick it, demean it, make it the opposite. We now have everything stopped, every NBA, NCAA. It doesn't matter. We're not doing it. Because they freak people out so bad. And then we go into, well, it's not just enough to say he's incompetent. He's, Jesus Christ. Science takes several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of Americans to keep new cases from entering. We'll be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for 30 days. This is not about stopping the virus. This is about Trump anti-Europe obsession. How's Italy doing? Um, Dan Goldwater, uh, how dare he say something completely true? Um, on CNN, Chief White House Correspondent Jim Acosta says President Trump referring to coronavirus as a foreign virus smacks a xenophobia. It's a foreign virus. Cannot believe this. Chris Cuomo and Jim Costa are concerned about xenophobia by calling coronavirus a foreign virus. The nation is in a crisis, and these grandstanding nitwits care about how something sounds. Carmen Sabia. A minute after CNN cut away from Trump, Chris Cuomo talked about Trump's xenophobia because he called it a foreign virus. 
Richard Dawson. Nasty foreign virus. Lock it up. Lock it up. Keep America safe. No foreigners from Europe allowed except Brits, of course. They're not really foreign. They speak English, don't they? I think they do. I went to London. I'm at the Queen. They love me there. The, what, what the fuck? Just two weeks ago. What were they calling it? A foreign virus. I have a cut in a few seconds. But Nancy McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy put up a tweet and Nancy Pelosi, bigoted statement with spread misinformation and blame Asians and the Asian American community for coronavirus makes us all less safe. GOP leader must delete this tweet and apologize immediately. It's still 2016, apparently, says they don't want you to be reminded that this virus started and spread in China because then they can't blame the Republicans. Maryland, it began in communist China. Hey, Nancy, China's located in Asia. I really think I'm switching party to DNC victim-playing policies. Oh, my God, get a grip. It was from China. No one's blaming Asians. It originated in China. The CDC keeps track of different fires, etc. Where they originated, it's important should we not then named wildfires, not very bright, Nancy. Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, hantavirus, Venezuelan equine encephalitis, Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, Japanese encephalitis, a Rift Valley fever, standard disease naming conventions at work here. Nothing is racist. But they, oh yeah, it was all day and all day Gara. FYI, Colvin, COVID-19, the Wuhan virus, is racist. FYI, this is one of the dumbest takes on Twitter right now, and that includes Alyssa Milano feeds, so you know it's really dumb. Swine flu is pork-phobic. Yes, I'll have a Cuban sandwich with a side of Spanish rice. FYI, Chinese isn't a race either. Simple fact is, <clears throat> two weeks ago, CNN International authorities in Beijing have canceled all large-scale Chinese year celebrations in an effort to contain the growing spread of Wuhan coronavirus. Yeah, my dogs are howling because mom's outside. Who said that? Jim a-fucking-Costa. And then late last night, this came down the pike of everybody on CNN calling it the Wuhan virus. This is all happening at a time that we're starting to see a message shift here because you're starting to hear the Republicans, especially Trump Co., calling it the Wuhan or the Chinese coronavirus. They're looking for someone to blame. Concern is growing this morning over an outbreak of a new SARS-like virus in China. At least six people have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The 34-year-old ophthalmologist diagnosed Saturday with the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan virus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. What more can you tell us about the similarities or differences between SARS and the Wuhan coronavirus? The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus in China. The Wuhan uh, coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. From the Wuhan. Uh, coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. Fears continue to grow over the outbreak of the Wuhan coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. We have new information about how the Wuhan coronavirus is spread. Tying coronavirus to China and Chinese people isn't just a racist dog whistle. It's a whole racist orchestra. It's a mighty, mighty racist bass tone. I hear Stephen Miller in this foreign virus setting up 
travel bans for the outside invasion of the disease. That's not the, the Chinese coronavirus. Yeah, that been that's not the first U.S. case of Chinese coronavirus. The Chinese coronavirus. Uh, this is coming as the Chinese coronavirus. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus outbreak anxiety. The death toll nearly doubles in China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus. Just how bad is China's coronavirus crisis? China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. Concerns about the China coronavirus. Uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of a xenophobia, right. uh, to use that kind of term. That's them. They were saying, but this isn't about politics. Nothing's political. When he said it was a hoax by the Democrats, oh, he's being political. President, it's not about your politics. I was listening to CNN while I went to feed the straight cats this morning. Three times during an interview with... Governor Cuomo, Kate, over on CNN, was trying to get Bush and Pence in there. What did Pence say? Is Pence going to do it? And then what you closed out? Well, we'll see what Trump says and Pence. Not President Trump, not Vice President Pence. Trump and Pence, and they'll take the suggestions of the smart Democrats. Then we went to next level, stupid. AOC and Pressler. Oh, it's racist not to eat Chinese food now. Honestly, it sounds almost so silly to say, but there's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. Um, they're not patroning Asian restaurants because of just straight up racism around the coronavirus. So, um, you know, since the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, we have seen not only the spreading of the virus, but also a rapid okay. spreading of racism and xenophobia. Uh, we have witnessed at the highest levels, in fact, of the Republican Party fanning irresponsibly uh, these flames. Um, one colleague tweeted that everything you need to know about the Chinese coronavirus, unquote. Uh, my district is home to nearly 32 percent foreign-born residents, with more than a quarter immigrating from Asia. This painful rhetoric has consequences. Uh, restaurants across Boston's Chinatown have seen up to an 80% drop in business. And I believe this has everything to do with the rapid spread of misinformation and paranoia. It is critical that we stand against these insightful messages and assuage fear in our communities. And we do that by dispelling untruths and misinformation. Uh, we can only do that by sharing the facts. And that is why I'm grateful to have... New York Times even got into the virtue signaling. The New York Times reported that critics had singled out conservatives such as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Tom Cotton, for using Wuhan to describe COVID-19. Critics accused a term which goes against the recommendation of health officials of being racist and xenophobic. The Times may have taken satisfaction to seeing prominent members of GOP come under fire for alleged racist and xenophobic language, but it should take a look at its own house first. Check out the, these tweets... January 21st, breaking news, the first U.S. case of Wuhan coronavirus. January 21st again, maps where the Wuhan coronavirus is. January 23rd, a Texas A&M University student is being examined for Wuhan coronavirus. January 23rd, a look at China's battle with the Wuhan coronavirus. January 24th, January 27th. 
Another one on the 27th, 29th, February 2nd, the Wuhan coronavirus. All the media got in, Guardian, everybody came in and played along with the GOP is racist because they're calling it the Wuhan virus. But we got to be serious. This is serious times. People are dying. We need solutions. We need real fucking people. So bad, the two elder statesmen that are running for Democratic president came out and... Jesus Christ, I'll read the tweet by fucking Moonbat on the other side. And they had little conferences yesterday after Trump had his conference to show that they're more in charge. While putting health and safety of the American people first, above everything else. Yesterday, we announced a public health advisory committee of experts who will continue to counsel my campaign and me, help guide our decisions on the steps to minimize further risks. We also, we will lead by science. World Health Organization now has officially, officially declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Downplaying it, being overly dismissive, or spreading misinformation is only going to hurt us and further advantage the spread of the disease. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability for the misjudgments that have been taken thus far by the Trump administration. Let me be crystal clear. The coronavirus does not have a political affiliation. It will infect Republicans, independents, and Democrats alike. It will not discriminate based on national origin, race, gender, or zip code. It will touch people in positions of power, as well as the most vulnerable in our society. And it will not stop. Banning all travel from Europe or any other part of the world may slow it, but as we've seen, it will not stop it. And travel restrictions based on favoritism and politics rather than risk will be counterproductive. This disease could impact every nation. Impact millions of workers in our own country. Uh, in terms of potential deaths and in terms of the economic impact on our economy, the crisis we pay, face from the coronavirus is on a scale of a major war, and we must act accordingly. Nobody knows what the number of fatalities may end up being or the number of people who may get ill, and we all hope that that number will be as low as possible. But we also have to face the truth, and that is that the number of casualties may actually be even higher than what the armed forces experienced in World War II. In other words, we have a major, major crisis, and we must act accordingly. Therefore, it is an absolute moral imperative that our response as a government, as a society, as a business community, and as individual citizens meet the enormity of this crisis. As people stay or work from home and are directed to quarantine, it will be easy 
for us to feel like we are all alone. I'm working at home, not in my office. Purely political and more deaths than World War II. Alyssa Milano said, I am crying watching this man speak. That's a leader. Everything Biden said was political. By the way, uh, West a Guinea Worm, named after Guinea Coast of West Africa, West Nile from Africa, Ross River, Australia, MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, Ebola, named after River in Africa, OMS Hemorrhagic Fetal, named after OMS Russia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Lyme Disease, in a town in Connecticut. They've always called things that. Conservatives have been running out fucking articles going, always. But they gotta pick everything. They gotta say he didn't do enough. They gotta, I mean, every once in a while you hear him say, well, we can't blame Trump for this. He didn't do the virus, but his steps aren't good and we should be testing 10,000 people a day and we should be doing, <clears throat> it took time for Korea to get going. Had he done what he wanted to do initially instead of tipping his toes in the water because every time he does a travel ban, you block it and call it racist, maybe we wouldn't have got any cases. But you can't as a Republican. You have to spend all your time politically doing the opposite. That's why I love Bush. He didn't think about politics. He just did shit. Fuck him. That's why I voted for him again. Fuck him. But Trump doesn't do that because Trump's like every other goddamn politi- political president we've ever had. What is this going to look like? What's that going to look like? i got to do a fucking pie gram and charts and polling and do all the shit I hate about politics because every fucking thing he does, this is what you get. MSDNC, liberal comic, coronavirus is political, Trump doesn't care about us or science. MSDNC, it's Carter time. Joy Reid, prophecy, Trump can't get reelected due to Corona. Cuomo, it's his fucking Katrina. Seen 108 confirmed cases of the virus. Governor Cuomo, how does the containment area work? And for people who are infected or are worried that they're infected, are they still going to the hospital? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, Good to be with you, Mika. And, you know, all this talk about politics, I think where the coronavirus reminds people is uh, there's nothing theoretical about government, right? This is uh, about making a difference in people's lives, mobilizing and being effective. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, On the uh, New Rochelle area specifically, it's the most dense cluster of cases in the United States. We have 108 cases in New Rochelle. Uh, To give you an idea, New York City only has 36. New York City is 100 times the size of New Rochelle, okay? So what the containment area means is just large gatherings in that area are postponed. Uh, People can go and come, et cetera. It's not a quarantine area, but no large gatherings because that's where it is spreading, obviously. And uh, the numbers on this, Mika, are going to go up uh, exponentially. Uh, We don't see it in the testing yet because we're not testing enough. And it's much bigger out there than we even know. So we have to take real actions, and we have to take them quickly. Uh, so, so Governor, um, just so other communities can learn from what happened in New Rochelle, could you just briefly walk us through how one man being infected has now led to the densest cluster, the most dense cluster in the United States, and what other communities should do to avoid 
what happened in New Rochelle. What's required you actually to take such a dramatic step? Yeah, Joe, it's math. You know, uh, this community happened to have a couple of large gatherings back to back. Uh, they had a large religious gathering where you had about 400 people. They then had a couple of days later another large gathering. And it's just uh, math. It's just the trajectory of exposure. Uh, there's nothing extraordinary. And uh, what the other countries did is they did the massive testing. You know, China was doing 200,000 tests a day. South Korea was doing 15,000 tests a day. We've done 5,000 to date. Uh, so what I would say, yeah. what I have been saying to other governors is, you're on your own. You know, let the states take action. Because when they do the retrospective here, Joe, uh, I think this is going to be the public health version of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, the federal government yeah. has just fallen down on the job, so let the states do it. So I'm still trying to understand, though, how the containment area is going to work, because if somebody has symptoms, like, for example, the man who, uh, who, you know, this story began with, he went to the hospital in neighboring Bronxville and then ended up in the city. So what is happening to people who have the virus, who are feeling symptoms, perhaps need care? Well, in this, in this area, New Rochelle, the hot spot, uh, first, no large gatherings. Second, we're bringing testing into the community. You know, this testing mm -hmm. has been such a fiasco. Even people going to a hospital is a problem. They get in a cab, they expose right. the cab, they walk into a hospital, they expose workers. So we're bringing testing, mobile testing units, to New mm -hmm. Rochelle. Mm -hmm. And you literally can drive into a mobile testing unit it's all contained, it's all isolated, uh, and you get the test right there. Excellent. We, we are getting very aggressive on the testing because if you look at the way it has been stopped in other countries, it's either massive quarantine or massive testing. And we don't want to quarantine, so we're going to have to do the testing, and we can't wait for the federal government because it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Governor, Sorry to say. Governor, it's Willie Geist. Uh, Tom Bossert, who, of course, was President Trump's mm -hmm. Homeland Security Secretary, said yesterday, we are 10 days away from the hospitals in the United States here getting creamed. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post on Monday. said we're headed toward the crisis in what it looks like in Italy, frankly. And I'm getting, even this morning, from doctors and, and people in Italy flashing red lights that what we have here is headed your way if, if you don't get smart about this. So what is your threshold, Governor, for closing schools? I know that's a municipal question, but for closing schools, for canceling any gatherings, for telling people mm -hmm. just stop going to work, work electronically, we can now, do Google chat, You can. we can do this. Where do you see the next turn in this? Is there a moment where you all get together and say, we've just got to shut things down for a while? Yeah, I think, Willie, I think you see the trajectory going straight up. I'm going to speak to uh, business leaders in New York today. I'm going to ask them voluntarily to do telecommuting, two shifts, uh, a morning shift and a late shift, and let people work from home voluntarily. We are, we have closed some schools. We've closed schools in this hot spot in New Rochelle. Uh, at the same time, we're trying to slow it down by ramping up the testing. Uh, and hopefully the federal government is going to release the handcuffs to be they've been controlling the process uh, and that's the way the other countries have gotten ahead of it with testing but I think you're right uh, it is all the numbers say it's going to be a wave 
We're worried about the health care system. We're studying uh, very closely our vacancy in the health care system. And we're planning backup uh, hospitals, quarantine centers, if you will, just in case we overwhelm the health care system, because that's the real challenge. Uh, can you deal with the number of sick in the hospitals? And then my number one concern, my nightmare, nursing homes, senior citizen centers, congregate care facilities for seniors. That's the vulnerable population. And that's what we have to keep an eye on, uh, because that's where we could have a real issue. That was Washington State. Uh, and these congregate senior facilities where vulnerable people are all close together, uh, that's, that's my number one concern. So, Governor, I went back uh, yesterday and watched an address to the nation by President Obama about the Ebola crisis, uh, in which he was pretty straightforward in terms of what we were doing, what the government was doing, what the government could do. In the case of New York, in the case of New Rochelle, you were talking about the government's failure. What would you expect the federal government to be doing, and what are they not doing that is critical to both New York, both your, your needs, and every governor, every state? Yeah. Look, uh, Mike, uh, let me be candid, but let me be careful, because I don't want the president tweeting at me after this broadcast. <laughs> I have to work with the federal government to make it work here. Uh, but... We knew this was coming in November and December. We knew what was happening in China. Uh, we had to know that somebody was going to get on an airplane and come to the United States, right? Uh, how we get to this point where we do not have testing capacity anywhere near what we need. Mm. Literally, the, the HHS secretary says yesterday, 5,000 tests to date. Korea. South Korea, 15,000 $15, tests a day. China, 200,000 tests a day. That's how you stayed ahead of this thing. That's how they turned the curve. We're nowhere near that. It reminds me of Hurricane Katrina, just a failed federal response and failed federal mobilization. They underestimated the challenge. Uh, now, who and how and why? Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you, in this whole political conversation we're having, I think it said to people, hey, remember, government matters, guys. This is not all theory and abstract. Uh, this is who can manage and who can get things done in a time of crisis. Uh, and I think that's what this coronavirus has done partially on the political scale. But uh, the federal government has just had a really poor response. And what I'm saying to them is at least get... It is a political thing. The president of the United States doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about the public. You talk about in past administrations, mistakes were made. Of course, at the mayoral level, at the gubernatorial level, and at the federal level, of course they are. But you have the right people in place. You believe the numbers. You understand the science. Yeah. This is a president who has no understanding or interest in science and any kind of science and he does not care about us he only yeah, no, cares about I, the I, numbers he, I, he made it political by going after no, democrats i totally hear you and i and i share that view and i i would say that uh, other people are having to step up because the government's not giving proper guidance on what gatherings should look like however you have seen on on 
social media, there are hashtags going around that sort of imply, some of them are absolutely racist, some of them imply that this is a Chinese thing, some of them imply that well, it's connected to Trump. Well, the President called it that today. Right. So, so the issue is, I, I think that while we can accept the fact that the President has not taken up the mantle of leadership, which is why you're seeing this stock market doing what it's doing every year, uh, every day, I think we can also accept the fact that it's, it's not, the President didn't start the virus. The president didn't start the virus, but the president of the United States is the person in charge, and we, nobody trusts him, and nobody feels safe with him. Powell, let's go back to your choice of the 1980 result. That's interesting because an incumbent lost to a Republican challenger because of an exigency going on late in his term. The taking of American hostages, the failure yeah. of a U.S. raid to get them. We have an exigency underway for our incumbent president. This was something he was handed, and we know not as of yet how this is going to play out over the next couple of months. That's an excellent parallel, Brian. I, I really think there are things happening that are, you know, to those of us who sort of stare at trees all day, I think the forest looks really scary for a lot of Americans. But now we have a crisis, and they know he's lying. They know that he said, oh, it's going to be nothing. But we're not going to really accept you lying about whether or not our health is in danger countrywide. And, and what we should do to keep ourselves safe. Specifics lying to the American people about what the recommendations are work. from the scientists. He yeah, says I mean, go you, to work. You, and, I mean, it is yeah. crazy that, it, that he is contradicting the science real time. And I think that, you know, maybe I, I kept thinking... This lie will do it. This lie will do it. This, these lies might actually do it. And if we're going to have to result to an underground railroad of true information about a virus that is going to put our parents and grandparents at risk of dying in considerable numbers, we are in territory that doesn't even feel like politics. Correct. We are in territory Correct. that is a crisis of governance that I think has very, very un un unpredictable political dynamics and political effects ahead. Claire, to your point, your local news becomes your reality. Just at I feel comfortable and confident that because of strong leadership and because of the advice. Where's the strong leadership? Yeah, I have to disagree he does, with you on that He has one. told us nothing of any importance. What do you mean by that? Trump. He says that it's nothing. He's actually proposing no a middle-class tax halt right now. He's doing a lot of things about to help financial. people might have to stay home for work, talking about insurance well, packages. I think there's some big things happening. The problem is that 69% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That's right. There are only 12 states plus D.C., you know, have paid uh, leave. And then you have one in four Americans that don't have paid leave, and especially low-wage workers. Totally great point. have people that are going to work when they don't feel well because... It makes the difference for their family. So I think when you look at the response, Elizabeth, from this administration, it really um, hasn't been good. This I don't think that we've seen well, real I, leadership. I mean, he won't, he's not going to get reelected. We don't of even this have real testing. We have real leadership. But the governor of Illinois was on television yeah. just this morning, and he said that he's been on the phone with the federal government, and they don't have enough testing capabilities, and they've had a lot of death. He not a lot of death, but they've had 19 cases detected he, in Illinois. He himself has. He, didn't he shake hands with Doug Collins the other day, who also I've was in that. contact with yeah. somebody who had the coronavirus, and he has not gotten. 
gotten tested. Have you gotten tested? No, there's no test Why? kits. Why? There are no test well, kits. Well, here's the deal. If we, the, the president's medical advisor, his chief physician, Fauci. says that he has no... I only believe Fauci. Well, believe both. I think we should prepare. I think we should pray. I'm not going to let coronavirus rule me and let it be an idol. I'm, I'm going to use not, Purell I'm not right listening now. to Dr. Bonsberg either. I'm not. Here's the deal. We are in a position right now, economically and from a national security standpoint, to be able to withstand um, and take care of our people right now. And these early actions by the president on travel restrictions, etc., I do believe long-term will help our country. We've got an economy right now that has had a buffer and is going strong that can handle it. Really? I, yes. The sun so that's why, in the toilet. Right now, but we have had a buffer over time that can absorb this. And I do think our leadership right now is pointing us to say, hey, this is not a panic situation. This is a precautionary situation. We're going to use Purell, Purell wash but, our hands, and we're going to be not, okay, well, how guys. How can it not be a panic we're situation okay. when you have people dying from this. I don't think the Biden campaign could have expected that the White House, that President Trump would essentially gift wrap them such an opportunity uh, when they scheduled this remarks to do what they've been really wanting to do for this entire campaign, which is offer voters a really side by side comparison of the type of presidential leadership Joe Biden would offer and has experienced in the White House for eight years himself versus what we see from President Trump. Uh, a Biden campaign aide tell me, telling me today that this speech will be presidential, not political. Today, the substance was important, of course, and he really released a plan that was more than 7,000 words long. Uh, but this was about Joe Biden modeling, frankly, presidential behavior to the country at a time when he and his campaign believe that that is lacking in the White House right now. They have politicized so fucking much. We have Pearl Jam canceling their tour and dogging Trump. Think pieces and tweet screeds about how Elizabeth Warren's the perfect person to take on this virus. Hillary Clinton is the perfect person to take on this virus. She even had the gall to send, it's easy, just read this and do what I tell you, Donald Trump. They're so serious that we have op-ed to improve U.S. coronavirus response. Donald Trump should resign. That's what they say. He should just resign. Um, it, bottom line, it's going to get worse. It's scare, it's, it is scarier to contemplate what may be happening that we haven't yet discovered. U.S. President Donald Trump is a danger to public health and as America is prepared to face down the epidemic. That's all in caps on this op-ed. And they end the op-ed. Um, And I need to keep going through the lies and misinformation and the generally bungled response, or have you started to get the picture? Donald Trump is a danger to public health as America prepared to face down an epidemic. Not only is he untrustworthy as a source of information at a time of crisis, which should be sad enough, but he won't declare a state of emergency to free up funding to deal with it. The president isn't persuaded because an emergency declaration contradicts his message that this is the flu or public control politico. We are desperately short on time to fend off a new illness that could kill hundreds of thousands. They're saying millions now. I'm not the only person longing for an adult in the room. If Donald Trump won't resign, he shouldn't just shut up and let an adult do the talking. We don't need someone presidential anymore. We need a real president. That's one of many. Because now all of a sudden Mike Pence is qualified to do this. Literally, here is one about Hillary. Uh, near attendant, there's something Hillary would be would have excelled at is a handling a national public health crisis. On Earth Two, President Clinton has finished her Oval Office address, delineating how because of mass testing organized early by the government, universal paid leave she passed early in her admin, and her expansion of health care to all Americans. Incidents of coronavirus are declining. I'm not going to read the replies. It's just. 
it summed up with this. Did she blame it on a video? Did she? Because that's what she she would have done. They're so serious. Here's here's Donna Sh- or yeah Donna Shalali. Mr. Chairman, um, <laughs> it's not sicko mode, but it's good. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, I have a completely different take on this bill. I think it's a mental health bill. I think it's a bill to reassure and reduce the anxiety and the fear that's out there in this country. So here's a soundbite from last one since we got fight songs and so important. And then we'll find out what really they tried to do with this funding. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Look how much politics they want to play. The dirty little secret. We have a coronavirus. We have government funding that we need to fund this. You know what Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, did? She withheld the bill last week. You know why? So the DCCC could run ads against seven Republicans. How many, how many people ran ads on the coronavirus uh, fundraising appeals? I don't know how many ran, but they actually took the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee, spent money, went into these seven Republican seats to campaign against them about the coronavirus when she's the Speaker of the House. Instead of putting America first, she put her politics first and held the bill from coming to the but floor. She so they wanted to politicize it, but it's not about politics. We keep getting told it's not about politics. Here's Pelosi. I'm going to play what she said yesterday, then I'm going to tell you what she did. The minority leader is talking about has to do with, um, he believes that compromise could take place within the next 24 to 48 hours. But if it doesn't, the Republicans are willing to stay and work this out. One of the questions I've taken out, the, the, the families have needs that I just described. Uh, we've made the proposal, which we started on Sunday and put out there. Uh, listening to governors, mayors, uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, educators, and the rest. This is what families need. They made suggestions to the language. We're making um, uh, agreeing to most of it because they're not they're not that different. So we don't need 48 hours. We need to just make a decision to help families right now because we have to operate not as business as usual but in an emergency status where we have to get the job done. But if the decision is made, will you stick around? I'm not sticking around because they don't want to agree to language. We're we're agreeing to much of what they have to present. Look, first of all, Mitch McConnell called me and said, you work with with, um, the secretary, that's it. Now the House Republicans are saying they're not in the loop. No, we sent them the language. It's not about that. It's about... Putting people and families first. So, I mean, if everybody could have a complaint about this or that, I said, save it for another day. We can have an after-action review about how we got into this situation. Save it for another day. Right now, we have to find our common ground, work together to, um, uh, to get this done as soon as possible because we have other needs. We will- no one got to see it. It's there at 11 o'clock last night. I think it's more important we take a moment to step back, let's work together. We can get this done in the next 48 hours. So we don't need 48 hours. We need to just make a decision. I'm not sticking around because they don't want to agree to language. 
Pelosi proposed taxpayer funding of abortion in coronavirus bill. Corner reports speaking to the Daily Caller, those officials alleged that while negotiation the stimulus with the U.S. Treasury Secretary Munchen, Pelosi tried to lobby for several provisions and stalled the bipartisan commitment to the effort. One was a mandate for up to $1 billion to reimburse laboratory claims, which the White House officials say would set a precedence of health spending without protection outlined by the Hyde Amendment. They always have the Hyde Amendment applied to it that the language says it would not go to abortions. That's what she was trying to do. One White House official would poorly explain a new mandatory funding stream that does not have Hyde protection would be unprecedented. Under the guise of protecting people, Pelosi is working to make sure taxpayer dollars are spent on covering abortions, which is not only backwards, but against historical norms. But the media... Uh, speaker, lawmakers should save it for another day. They have complaints about the coronavirus bill. We don't need 48 hours. We need to just make a decision. Steve Salisi, Pelosi wasted the whole week behind closed doors drafting a partisan bill full of liberal fantasies that have nothing to do with coronavirus. Republicans are ready to work with Dems on serious solution. Now it's time for, now is not the time for politics. Pelosi needs to stop the games and work with us. She wanted to fucking put pork in it. That's what they do every time. They poison pill things. Because they know for them, the best thing that can happen is people die. Trump look unacceptable. This is how they got Obama into office. This is how they got Obama the second time. They politicize events. Because don't let any crisis go to waste. They put poison pills in bills. American public loses faith. They win. They do it every time. When Republicans do it, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't. They're killing people. We, We have a party that wants people to die, folks. It behooves them to die. It gets Biden elected. If the economy tanks, Biden gets elected. If people die and they look like they can't handle this, Biden gets elected. Bill Mitchell, H1N1 in 2009 infected 61 million Americans. 61 freaking a million Americans. I was way off at 19. COVID has infected 1,000. COVID-19 has received 10,000 times the media coverage H1N1 received. Yes, folks, it's all politics. Remember, 12,500 people died. If you're over 60, yeah, you need to, you need to be serious. If you're my sister with an immune disease, yeah, you need to be serious. If you're a normal person, you don't need to buy out fucking Costco's toilet paper aisle. Diarrhea isn't even a fucking symptom. It's a chest cold. And this virus attacks it. And then your natural defenses and phase two is what kills you. Phase two, your natural defenses start attacking real flesh and cells. It gets rid of the cicula, I think it's what it's called, that wipes away pollen in your lungs, takes it out, your fucking lungs fill up and you die of pneumonia. And it doesn't happen to 85% of the people that get it. It doesn't happen to kids. It doesn't happen to babies. It happens to elderly or people with immune problems. It's not a pandemic in America. It's a pandemic because it got to every country in the world. But 
It's a pandemic if you want to get elected for president. This is the most disgusting display. Remember, for those that haven't been with the show, I registered Republican, and I'm not a Republican, but I registered Republican because when I went to register in 2003 for the 2004 election, I realized I was going to stay here. I was on a break from the Mojave, and at that time, the party that got us into the fucking Iraq war and built a case for eight years that WMDs were in Iraq, Saddam was Satan, everybody from Kerry, Hillary, Bill, Everybody said they're a devil. Pelosi played politics when there wasn't no WMDs. Called U.S. soldiers fucking murderers. And wouldn't even finance a goddamn war. So I registered to a party because you can't be unregistered in a party in Tennessee. They don't have independent. And if you want to play, you got to pick something. That's child play. To what they're doing right now. This is irresponsible. This is going to get people's lives destroyed. People now aren't getting paid. My sister got sent home yesterday. She'll be able to work at the house, but she won't be able to do anything. Now, in my heart, it's the best thing that ever happened because she does have a compromised immune system with AUH. But now she's not going to get money because she can't work. Schools are closing all over the place. What are parents to do? They got to work. Well, they can't work now because their kids are at the house. And I understand if you're in an area that is affected, like Seattle, Oregon's got like 16 cases, Tennessee has 18. It's not rampant. But you've made it a national emergency because you want to get Biden elected. We'll finish this segment with Trish Trish Reagan. We've reached a tipping point. The chorus of hate being labeled at Trump is nearing crescendo. And Dems blame him and only him for coronavirus that originated halfway around the world. This is yet another attempt to impeach the president. And then we'll go straight into our next section. A short thing on the Dems and the media. And here is the guy who actually got yelled at by Biden. Yeah, Fox had him on. He uh, definitely has a different opinion. We've reached a tipping point. The chorus of hate being leveled at the president is nearing a crescendo as Democrats blame him and only him for a virus that originated halfway around the world. This is yet another attempt to impeach the president. And sadly, it seems they care very little for any of the destruction they are leaving in their wake. Losses in the stock market. All this, unfortunately, just part of the political casualties for them. You know, this is the time to be united, not to be pointing fingers, not to be encouraging hate. And yet, what do we see? We see the absolute opposite from the left tonight. Good evening, everyone. I am Trish Regan. The hate is boiling over. Many in the liberal media using, and I mean using, coronavirus in an attempt to demonize and destroy the president. I see. This is impeachment all over again. And like with the Mueller investigation, like with Ukraine Gate, they don't care who they hurt. Whether it be their need to create mass hysteria to encourage a market sell-off unlike anything we've seen recently or 
whether it be to create mass hysteria in order to stop our economy dead in its tracks, don't kid yourself. They told us how much they crave a recession as a way to get rid of Donald Trump. You know, of course, these are people's jobs that the left does not mind seeing them lose. These are people's 401ks that are being decimated. And that's okay with them? That's okay with the left? Yeah. You know, in some ways, they almost seem to be cheering it on. This is impeachment all over again, complete with a whistleblower to complain about our Health and Human Services Committee, right? It's critical, you know what, that we look at these numbers with a clear lens. I want to remind everyone that the CDC estimates that this year's seasonal flu has resulted in roughly 34 million cases and 20,000 deaths in the United States alone. The seasonal flu. From 2009 to 2010, nearly 61 million Americans got swine flu, and more than 12,000 Americans died. As many as 575,000 people worldwide died of the swine flu. And was there any criticism? No. Because why? Because the media didn't want to insult their precious President Obama, I suppose. You know, I spoke with a doctor on Friday who told me that the World Health Organization and others, they typically do whatever they can to get the word out. It's critical that people are aware of the problems so that the public can improve hygiene routines and health routines. This is what helps in terms of lessening the infection rate. But you know what? The media's reaction with the global town halls and CNN treating this like it's some missing plane story. What is that? I mean, did they do this during Ebola? No. But we, we didn't even see this kind of insanity for SARS. And SARS and Ebola, those viruses were far more deadly. So why the melodrama on such an agitated scale right now? Why are the markets reacting like this? I'll give you two words. Donald Trump. And the media doesn't like him. People, including the media... And some investors are allowing their own hate and their own bias against him to spiral out of control, leading to massive sell-offs right now in the market. Anytime there's this kind of disruption in the supply chain, anytime people cut back on spending, there will be economic softness, which can lead to a recession. And we're probably due for one now. But we'll recover. We always do. For the media to spin a narrative that this sell-off and this virus are all a result of President Trump, it's just wrong. But unfortunately, I guess they, they needed someone to blame. They were looking for someone to blame. They want to blame him for literally anything they can. And, and they have no real interest, shall we say, in finding who's to blame, who is the root cause of all this. From what we can tell, this all originated out of China. You know, when Donald Trump is their political target, that's all they need. And that's tonight's intel. Okay, Joe Biden yesterday hurling profanities at a construction worker from Detroit who questioned him on his stance about guns. Yeah, really? So when someone engages you, you curse him out? That Michigan uh, uh, mill rights employee, Jerry Wayne, joins us now. Uh, Jerry, appreciate you joining us. Set the scene. When did you realize you'll have a chance to question the former vice president about his stance on guns? Well, I heard when I first came to work that he'd be coming in. 
So I spent uh, a little bit of time gathering my thoughts on a question that I might be able to ask. I had no idea that he was going to be taking questions or if it was going to be that type of scenario. Uh, he started making his rounds, uh, shaking people's hands, and he made it to my way, and I stopped him. I started to ask him a question. He could have easily said, I'm not taking questions, and I would have very respectfully walked away. But he wanted to listen to my question, and I don't think that he was ready for it. Well, it was hard to hear. What did you ask him? Uh, well, I asked him how he was going to be helping get us work, us, us union workers, mm -hmm. work in the future. Uh, we seem to be doing fine at the moment, um, but there's always room for improvement. And I wanted to give him the opportunity to show us where that improvement could come from. And, he... and I also asked him, I'm sorry? You go ahead. Uh, I also asked him uh, how he wanted to get the vote of the working man when a lot of us wield arms. We, we, we bear arms, and we like to do that. And if he wants to give us work and take our guns, I don't see how he's going to get the same vote. So his message has changed, right? Is that your concern? Because he looked at you and he said, that's not true. I never said that. So we went to the Wayback Machine, as Steve always says, and we found what he said in the past that really concerns you. Watch this. To gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. Look, the Second Amendment doesn't say you can't restrict the kinds of weapons people can own. So that was one of the viral videos, Jerry, that you had seen. Another one is where he talks about uh, putting Beto O'Rourke in charge of guns. We're going to run that, too. Watch. this guy, you're going to take care of the gun problem with me. You're going to be the one who leads this effort. I'm counting on you. I'm right, and that's the video right there, Jerry, that scared you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was a little bit disturbing to see that a politician wants to take away my right to defend myself. So which Joe Biden do you believe? <laughs> uh, the one that wants to take my guns. Were you surprised, Jerry, that uh, you asked a civil question and he, uh, Joe Biden just went off the deep end on you? Yeah, uh, I thought I was pretty articulate and respectful. I, I didn't try, uh, try to raise any, any feathers, and uh, he kind of just went off the deep end. Uh, Unsurprisingly, Fox is the only people that talked to him. Nobody else went and found the guy. So if it was so good... Wouldn't you think that they'd find this gentleman and talk to him and go, do you understand why President Biden, I mean, excuse me, uh, Vice Pre I mean, candidate Biden, uh, you know, called you out on that? But they avoid those people. CNN's Asha Rangapapa brings in our next wave for Biden, because we talked about it, that ableism is now banned on Twitter. <clears throat> Can't talk about somebody's capacity. Biden is not reading from a teleprompter. His voice modulates, and he's not a sedated zombie. He understands the problem. He actually cares. And the entire world goes, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. He has teleprompters. CNN politics, why Joe Biden's confrontation with an auto worker 
It's probably a good thing. This is Chris Saliza, of course. There's also deeply rich irony here in Trump campaign trying to suggest that confrontations, generally speaking, and politicians use a few curse words is a bad thing. After all, this president loves confrontation and cussing, often in public with an exclamation point, and dismissing those who say that he's acting, isn't acting presidential as wimps and whiners. Yes, it's a huge double standard. When Trump tells people where they can stick it, his fans say he's being tough and standing up for Americans. When Biden does the same, he's unhinged. Look, I'm not sure this one incident changes many or any voter's mind, but to the extent it does have an impact, it's hard for me to see this as anything but good for Biden as he seeks to put away Sanders in the primary and pivot to taking on Trump in the general. The problem is the entire world reminded Chris Lizza, who says for the millionth time we don't take sides, but he just did. <clears throat> there was like 10,000 op-eds on how unprecedented Trump is, how it's inappropriate, how he's turning off voters. But with Biden, Charlotte Clymer, CNN. I know a lot of folks, especially on the left, aren't going to want to hear this, but a lot of voters will be more drawn to Biden because of this video. To us, it makes it looks clumsy and combative. To them, <clears throat> it looks strong. Near a tandem, most people look at this video and think he's ready to take on Trump. Most people. We're not voting for Biden as long as he wants to get in combative and criticism, criticize citizens and poke them in the chest and tell them to vote for the other guy. Climber. Yep, exactly that. Doesn't matter that he got AR-15 wrong or whatever the hell you said. Even his flubs can come across as vaguely charming. See? These people are fucking hypocrites. Here's Matt. I am about independent status. I'm not part of a party. And we need to have social decorum. Dowd. From ESPN. Or excuse me, ABC. Who blocks anybody that disagrees with them. On Twitter. Read on that moment with Joe Biden. He, he got into a verbal altercation, you know, with that factory worker. He used some some profane language. One side of the desk said, "Hey, it was it, it, it was good for him. He showed strength." The other side said, "Maybe he went too far." What's your take on that moment today? When I saw that moment, when I saw that moment, I thought this is going to be a net plus for Joe Biden. I've been through so many campaigns with so many candidates that have had moments like that, and everybody thinks, "Oh my gosh, what just happened?" In this environment, at this time, for Joe Biden, that's going to be a net plus in this. One of the things that we learned through the Donald Trump election is voters are sick of the typical political speak, the typical way where you phrase everything perfectly and say it just right and speak in paragraphs and do all of that the way that we've gotten used to these sort of manufactured candidates that have everything put down perfectly well. Voters want somebody that they can trust and is genuine and has has uh, has a believability. And that moment to me, taking on this on an issue that's important to most Americans, which is guns, or majority of the country supports where Joe Biden is on this issue, was a moment that I thought will be captured. The Democratic Party will love it. And independent voters who question whether Joe Biden has the strength to take on Donald Trump are going to see that in him. So I think net plus. Remember, these are the people that tell us <clears throat> that you must respect the offices of the President of the United States. You must, at the minimum, these same people. Then we get to Bernie people. <clears throat> well, I'm just going to play the soundbite first. This is Chris Jansing. Shaquille, you've been doing great reporting on the Sanders campaign throughout this whole campaign. There was a really upsetting moment in the campaign last night I just wanted to ask you about. Uh, in which an individual, apparently a fairly well-known neo-Nazi, 
um, unveiled a swastika flag in the arena in which Bernie Sanders is speaking. Of course, his father's family was murdered by the Nazis. Um, un- unveiled that flag, might have said something. Uh, the crowd booed him. What, what was that like? What's the reaction been like inside the campaign? I'll tell you, it was a very weird moment. It was in Phoenix, at a rally in Phoenix, Arizona last night. And you saw that video where the flag was unfurled there. And what really, Senator Sanders, first I'll say, he did not see the flag. He was speaking, he was giving his speech, and the crowd started to see it. And they pointed up and they started booing. And once he turned around, the flag was already gone and the man was being escorted out. What you're hearing from the Sanders campaign is, one, they're emphasizing he didn't see it. He didn't really know about it until he left the stage. When he was asked about it at a press conference today as he was leaving, Phoenix, he called it a horrific event. He explained the idea that someone felt comfortable enough to go to a political rally of someone who would be the first Jewish president if elected and cause that kind of intimidation. So he wasn't happy about that. He gets protesters every once in a while. These are people who come with their Trump hats on or might have a Trump flag on. But this is definitely something a little bit different. And you can tell it was something that the campaign really took seriously um, as it is a serious incident. Yeah, and I mean, there's ugliness all around, Dean. I'm sure you you, you hear it. You, you're listening to vote, you know, people sure. on your radio show every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's, it's been toward Senator Sanders. Somebody brought a swastika yep, flag so to his Despicable. event, right? And he is Jewish American. His family escaped the Holocaust. So you've had in his direction. You've definitely had it the other direction at people who support other candidates. Um, and, and there is that, that the, the part of it that's gendered. It really seems to just evoke a different feeling. Hi. Can I ask you a question? Why did your network not find it newsworthy to report on an anti-Semitic attack at the Jewish candidates' rally on Friday? I, I don't make those decisions. So, so, so who makes them. those decisions? Because I texted producer Daniel Arnall personally yeah. uh, and told him about this information. So it's not credible that no one in the building didn't know. So I want to know why that ne- why the I network made that decision. I don't know. So you are an anchor, right? And so and you don't make these decisions. So I, who makes these decisions? It depends on the, the decision. Right. So, 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 can you explain to me who makes these decisions on what's newsworthy? Because you know what you're doing is crafting Individual, narrative. No, I'm not crafting, crafting a narrative. And I'm, and I'm well, on, on Friday you did a week. Like you did a week. You did a week. You did a week of coverage about harassment that presidential do candidates face. Do me a favor. I'm not. I'm not. I'm asking you a question. Just do me a favor. I'm asking you a question. Like, why? Who decides? Who decides? Like, what makes? I don't have the answer. Who decides what makes narrative? She doesn't. Who decides? Because I texted it to producer Daniel Arnold. Now, first and foremost, <clears throat> that contradicts what he said on our last podcast when he was talking to Tapper. But the reason why I keep coming back to that, and you hear Jansen getting assaulted verbally by a Bernie supporter, <clears throat> if that was a Trump rally, how would it play? Once again, everything at a Trump rally is Trump's fault. When people from Bernie's crowd got in his rallies and started fights, it was Trump supporters' problems. And we're just playing this off, but even the Bernie people are like, why the hell are you reporting that? Well, they don't have much of a choice. They make it their business to go with the candidate they want, and that's Biden. But you can't tell that to some of these moon bats. Here's Linda Sassar. If Biden gets his nomination and wants Bernie supporters, he's going to have to concede and negotiate on issues. We need to be able to inspire voters on the issues that moved us them to support Bernie Sanders. I think this is fair and reasonable. We have to push him to the left. Drew McCoy, imagine if Sanders had thrashed Biden the way Biden's thrashing him. <clears throat> the Biden supporters are like, okay, you've won, but here's our list of demands because you have to move to the right. 
I don't think Team Sanders or any victorious campaign would be terribly receptive. The communists are upset that they're going to have to get jobs now and pay on their own. They've already got the fury promise to come and take our guns. What more do they want? Nice try. Democrats are choosing Biden. That means Bernie failed to persuade the voters. As a loser, you need to swallow your pride and get over it. Demands are childish. Having an adult conversation to work towards common ground is the best approach. I appreciate how the entirety of Bernie camp acts like this is the first time they've experienced electoral politics and assume it should involve policy participation trophies, which I thought was really a good one. But they're in trouble, folks. They're in big trouble because it's going to be 2016 again. The DNC has already burned people. They do not believe that this was a fair fight because, let's be honest, the media and the DNC was pushing for Biden. I mean, it's just obvious. Now, once again, that they're starting to turn towards Biden and people are starting to point out to Biden all his many, many fuck-ups, the same things that CNN and company said oh so long ago in the beginning that he just wasn't good. They're starting to defend him. Here's Brian Seltzer. Tonight, like every other night, Fox Primetime show has been deriding Biden as airing doubts about his camp capacity, using short video clips. Now Biden is speaking live about his primary victories, and Fox isn't showing his speech. Somebody tweeted right back to him. Hey, Brian, here's one of your articles. The hardest Trump story for the press to cover his fitness for the job. Trump's mental health keeps being invoked by commentators online and on TV. The volume is much louder of late. And this is right before the coronavirus. <clears throat> Remember, this is a candidate that did this. In a private meeting, Joe Biden said part of education problem is black communities is that parents can't read or write themselves. It was a New York Times story. It was fucking horrible. But the media, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to talk about his capacity. You can't do that. We've talked about Trump's for fucking four years, but fuck that shit. And now they're bringing on spokesmen who give speeches like this. Be creating this kind of carnage on our streets. It's something he's done successfully already. Uh, it's something he'll do again as president. No, yeah, go ahead. But real quick, I just want to ask you about the videos that keep coming out, whether it was the one over the weekend where Joe Biden seemed to be struggling uh, to talk about whether or not you should vote for him or vote for Donald Trump's reelection. Bottom line is, you know, the Trump campaign is pushing these videos out there and they're asking a basic question. Is Joe Biden fit to be commander in chief? How do you answer that? You know, I have to say, this is a disgusting smear tactic. And this kind of thing is exactly why people want Joe Biden to be president. This kind of false, uh, you know, misleading, uh, basically conspiracy theory that, uh, you well, know, hang a, a on. How desperate... Is it a smear, hang on, a desperate, I'll let you talk, but hang on. How is it a smear tactic to ask you about a video where the vice president, in his own words, struggles to complete a sentence? How is that a smear tactic? Ed, respectfully, how many times have you struggled to complete a sentence I'm sure on it's air? Happened many That's times. ridiculous. Okay, That's, well, of course. Let's roll. Let's roll the tape. That's ridiculous. I'm not I running think for that, you know, this is, Look, if I'm Donald Trump, if I'm Donald Trump, and I saw Joe Biden last night giving the speech that he gave, sounding presidential, looking like a leader, 
if I'm looking at the turnout that he's generating across the country, I'm scared too. And I'm starting to throw this kind of nonsense against the wall. It's exactly the kind of thing the American people are sick of, they're tired of. It's why they want Joe Biden, somebody with dignity and empathy uh, in the White House. And it's exactly why we're seeing some of the right, so uh, got, enormous turnout that we're seeing and enthusiasm for Joe Biden. That we we're got seeing. the pitch. So New York Post headline this morning, I'll have you respond to it. This is Jonathan Tobin in the Post saying Biden's biggest problem, his candidacy relies totally on Obama nostalgia. In it, he writes, Democrats should remember that there is no precedent for winning the White House purely on the basis of longing for a past president. That's all Biden has going for him. And though he has the virtue of not being a socialist, the idea that Biden can be elected as a tribute to Obama is a fantasy. Your response? I think most voters feel pretty good about the eight years of the Obama administration. I think we got incredibly important uh, change done in this country. We got the Affordable Care Act done, the Paris Climate Accord. I think there is a lot about those eight years that people right now, after you know now almost four years of, of a president in Donald Trump who makes a lot of promises, doesn't get a whole lot done for people, I think they look really fondly at, at the Obama administration, at the things that Joe Biden was able to do as part of that administration. Okay, so, so what are the... Uh, what- if, if the if the allegation is that we uh, that that we're going to have a, a, a conversation about the uh, ach- the achievements of the Obama administration and that's a problem, well, I guess we'll have that conversation. But uh, he is incredibly he's incredibly proud of the things that that he and Barack Obama accomplished. So, what's the campaign strategy? What's the biggest challenge that you see going forward after bi- last night's victory? Well, I think we saw a lot of really encouraging signs last night. Again, the turnout was uh, incredibly high. I think as we move forward, we are going to continue to speak to people uh, who want somebody in the White House who has a sense of dignity, who has a sense of their lives. Uh, I think that has been an incredibly successful message thus far. People are responding to it. I think you can expect to see Biden out uh, talking directly to voters who are looking for uh, looking for a change, looking for the polar opposite of Donald Trump, looking for somebody who can carry forward an agenda, who has the experience to get it done, who knows how to get things done. Um, so you're going to you're going to hear him continue to make a case for uh, his ability to do things that matter in people's lives. Okay. And I think that is, uh, unfortunately, in, in, in short, um, uh, uh, we're not seeing a lot of that in Washington today, and I think that that's something that, uh, that Biden is able to do. Given that momentum you're talking about, and we've been talking about throughout this interview, James Carville last night said it's time to end this puppy and end the primaries, end the debates, <laughs> move on to the general election. Agree? Look, we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna tell Senator Sanders what to do. That's his decision. I do think voters are tired of a long, drawn-out primary process. I think they are not looking to see uh, negative, a, a long, negative, drawn-out process here. So, obviously, we're gonna let Senator Sanders make his own decision. Of course, uh, like I said, if any Sanders voters are looking for a home with Joe Biden, I think they have one. Uh, but we're gonna continue to uh, to make our case and to talk to people and to make sure that they know that in Joe Biden they have uh, somebody who's gonna have their backs. Kate Bedingfield, appreciate your time this morning. Come back. Yeah, uh, homie don't think so. The guy's a gaffe machine. But our biggest problems we have is that, once again, or not our problems, the Democrats' problems, is the fact that they didn't pick the person the party wanted. They picked what the fucking establishment wanted. Let's be honest. Soros, Democracy PAC, gave $7 million for Biden and liberal Senate majority. So he split his money on Biden, who he thinks can beat Trump, 
and then extremely liberal people to get his agenda through. Because what they're banking on is if they get liberals and flip the Senate, well, then they can push all this shit because Biden's just going to sign it. Because Biden isn't a super lib. He's saying the words now, but that's not who he is. And they think that they can be manipulated by the squad, like Pelosi did, and everything will work out. So, here's, and once again, let's understand, $7 million. We knew about the Koch brothers. We don't know about Soros. Media says if you talk about Soros, you're anti-Semite. But he owns the Democratic Party, just like Planned Parenthood does. So, we're going to play two sound bites. Number one... Is Jake Tapper pretty much saying, well, we don't have two liberal pundits like Hayes and Maddow because they wanted Bernie, which is pretty fucking interesting that Tapper, a super lib, would dog two other super libs. And Van Jones, again, with his warning Democratic Party, they, they have a problem. They really do. It's going to be 2016 again. And I guarantee a lot of people are not going to vote. If they're not, if it wasn't Bernie, they're not voting. Remember, we played those sound bites, folks. They want to burn cities down. They want to burn people in the street. These are some extremists. And then we're going to go to a music break, which is going to be the sound bite for the hu- the <clears throat> the hunt. And we'll come into new social media nuggets. They're going to be started off by reviews of the hunt because you know they released it. And we know this would never be released if it was a bunch of goddamn deplorables hunting liberals. I'm getting real 2004 vibes tonight, which is Democrats want to defeat an incumbent Republican so badly, Democratic voters, I mean, that they decide which one is electable and they decide which one is electable and they decide, okay, it's John Kerry, or in this case, it's Joe Biden. There's a huge coalescing around that person. They want to end the primary process as soon as possible. Uh, and then basically they coronate this person. When you have the Democratic electorate deciding that they are all a bunch of Rachel Maddows and Chris Hayes and the like, that they're just, you know, progressive pundits and they're going to pick out who is the best one, maybe they don't necessarily so- always know what they're doing. And if you look at the story from four years ago, uh, Michigan was the place that kind of resurrected Bernie Sanders and started him on a real trajectory. And there was a sense he could he could stop the Clinton train. God, he was going to stop the Clinton train. And then now yeah. here we are. Not so much. And Bernie Sanders is stuck. It wasn't so much that Michigan was going to be his firewall, but it was going to be kind of the backstop in case things didn't go so well on Super Tuesday and things didn't go so well on Super Tuesday. But it turned out that he couldn't put together that kind of coalition that he really needed. And I think it may not be the end. It may be the beginning of the end. But Bernie Sanders is a realist and want, and has said, to his credit, over and over and over again, he wants to unite the party because he wants to defeat Donald Trump. And if you look at the results in Michigan where Joe Biden you know, was winning with, he's still not winning with young voters. Let me, let me point that out. As Abdullah is saying, did not win with young voters. Getting creamed by Sanders. Getting creamed by young voters. But the, the places where he's had problem with, with white non-college educated voters doing, doing well with those voters. So you have to wonder whether this is a signal. Let me just say, say, I, I think this is a very dangerous moment for the Democratic Party. Uh, you have now an insurgency that's about to be defeated. What do you do with the people that you defeat? There was a hope on the part of a lot of young people they had a champion. 
you got young people who are graduating with a quarter million dollars in debt. You got young people in, with a lot of pain, and they had a champion, mm -hmm. and that they thought that they were going to be able to surround the a divided establishment with their movement, crush that divided establishment, and move forward. Instead, the establishment united and stopped them. Now, what do you do? Last time Bernie Sanders got beaten, there was an assumption that all his people were just going to fall in line and vote against Trump, and there was not enough care for the concern and the pain of his base. I think tonight there's going to be a lot of crowing, a lot of relief on the part of the establishment, but keep it temperate and turn. Turn to those people and say, we want to be your champion. No. If you don't do that, you're going to have a pyrrhic victory. Now. I, I, there, there, there were a lot of Sanders supporters in key states who did not end up voting for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. That's exactly my I, point. Right. I, I agree. Biden should pivot to the general and reach out to young people in particular who supported Bernie and let them let them know, I'm going to be your candidate, and that he understands the fact that we have left the next generation a real house of cards yeah. in terms of a path forward, college being 250% more expensive, most jobs are temp gig or contract jobs that don't have health care benefits or a path forward. Joe has not done an excellent job of making it seem like he relates to young people in those situations. So he or his surrogates have to make that case very, very quickly that he's going to be their candidate oh, too. So you know, at a rally See that article? Every year, these liberal elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us and hunt us for sport. The last I heard, free speech still exists. Don't First Amendment me. It wasn't real. We were joking. There's been a killing spree. You got to come here right now. You actually believed we were hunting human beings for sport. <laughs> but you are. We have an opportunity here to teach these people. These are not real people. They're actors. I'm playing an Arab refugee, but I identify as white. I think that's problematic too, in some way. You wanted it to be real, so you decided it was. kind of sick people would even think of something like that? White people. We're the worst. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Who are you trying to get crazy with this, eh? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Oh, the hunt. They did release it, which, you know, once again, uh, I don't really give a flying fuck, but 
you could never make a movie hunting liberals. That just wouldn't happen. So that's why I covered on the show. <clears throat> it's a liberal hypocrisy. Slate's review was the hunt is too dumb to justify Trump's outrage. The controversial new movie depicts a battle between elites and deplorables, but it really, it doesn't really challenge either. And you could tell the tone was, we're only covering this because we hate Trump. And the author, in my opinion, came across as, well, we didn't kill enough conservatives. USA Today covered it. They're a news organization. I just did air quotes. The hunt might tick you off. Here's why that's a good thing. <clears throat> the controversial film picks its political sides clearly and quickly with enough middle fingers to every ideology. No, it doesn't. And theaters, okay, has taken a long winding until the road, Donald Trump, 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 Trump. That is definitely controversial, but it's an equal opportunity offender that forgoes partisanship to poke bloody, gory fun at everybody in a 90-minute ride that zooms that right-wingers are hunted down. The movie, like you're next and ready or not, tweaks the final girl trope with Crystal, um, <clears throat> seemingly ordinary Mississippi woman who battles back with heroic metal. At the same time, the movie takes no prisoners of eviscerating both sides. La-da-da-da-da! Da 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 da. After a couple of the hunters murder a few victims, one says the other, white people, we're the worst. Yeah, this is a woke fest. It was written by the guy who literally made Game of Thrones. So, yeah, <clears throat> there you go. The Hunt, and this is from the Daily Wire. The movie was canceled last year in a wave of allegations of bad publicity. The majority of the negative publicity around the film came from the right and conservative commentators. It's easy to see why. A superficial look at the premise of the movie goes so many people excited and angry. From the trailer, the plot, blah, blah, blah. No conservative liberals should miss seeing the new film. In fact, the hunt unexpectedly turns the tables on the elite, make the final mistake of underestimating the rednecks. Doesn't that sound familiar? Eventually, the movie becomes a battle of intellectual intelligence, resourcefulness, and stamina between those who believe they are superior and those who fight for survival every day. If the hunt were only about this, it would be worth the visit to the theater, but the movie is about so much more. It manages to bring home the devastating consequences of having your career and future canceled over a single poorly worded private joke. It also looks at how social media mobs can compound the damage. The hunt explores these issues and then allows the victims to indulge in a fantasy revenge, which is widely disproportionate to what people wrote about them. But then it isn't most reaction on social media widely disproportionate. Nick Kuss, The Leftovers, and Damon Lindoff, The Leftovers, The Lost, Watch, but I'm sorry, it was The Leftovers. <clears throat> and director Craig Zobel throw lots of mud at both sides, elites and deplorables. The hunt seems to take particular pleasure in poking fun of the political correctness and hypocrites of the elites. Don't believe the reviews that tell you that this is an equal opportunity to attack on both sides of the American political vibe. It's not. The hunt is a movie for those who feel Hollywood hates them. It is a perfect revenge fantasy for mega supporters, blah, 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 blah. And they say you should go see it. I won't waste my money on it. <clears throat> I just won't. Because in my opinion, it's highly inappropriate. If you could do it to both sides, well, then I would say go ahead. But you can't. You just can't. And then one catch up before we play a Biden soundbite of college students literally seeing... Biden grope motherfuckers and being grossed out because the media doesn't really cover it. And then you'll hear a riot that happened at Dayton, which is pretty fucking crazy. Um, <clears throat> here is Educating Liberals, which I seem to be covering almost every podcast. Uh, libs live in a society where rapists celebrate lecture, raper, rapist celebs lecture, lecture us on morality. 
Transgenders lecture us on biology. Teenagers lecture us on climatology. Bartenders lecture us on politics. And socialists lecture us on economies. Baby killers lecture us on human rights. How messed up is that? And that's really fucking a good tweet that I missed. So I got it now. So here's two sound bites. College kids seeing Biden grope for the first time. And the riots at uh, Dayton College. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at the University of Iowa talking to young voters about the 2020 race and specifically Joe Biden. Last week, videos went viral of him appearing to touch young women inappropriately. Will people here have a problem with that and will it impact the way they vote in the upcoming caucus? Let's find out. Joe Biden, obviously one of the favorites. Uh, he hasn't announced officially, but he's still polling in first place in many states. There was a video going around Twitter that had gone viral of him appearing to touch young women inappropriately. So I'm going to play the video for you guys and I want to see if you guys think it's harmless or if you think that it's inappropriate. Oh no. Please, very close to them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really weird. What's he doing? This is a long compilation, jeez. <laughs> Look at her face. <laughs> and even like all everyone else, you can tell that they're kind of uncomfortable with the way he acts. Yeah, that's definitely, like, very excessive. Like, there's no need to be grabbing at people like that. What's your initial reaction when you see these videos? That's really creepy. Yeah, ew. I'd say it's a little on the strange side. Um, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of different clips there, which is obviously doesn't look, look very good for Joe Biden. Definitely creepy. That various of ages of women, too, so it's not just, it was young women and a little bit older women, so it's just very wrong, and that should not be a thing. Yeah, I think it's a classic example of men not not responding to being around women properly. Like at a certain point, what is just like not getting the memo about personal space and what is just not like respecting it? If like I wasn't related to him and he did that, I'd think it's creepy. I think it's definitely recurring. I I don't know how you wouldn't notice that you're doing that and like being creepy towards someone. Yeah. Do you think it has a factor in the race? I think it does because, I mean, that's absolutely wrong and he might not think that, but that's a problem. I do think it's probably something that people are going to think about just with, like, everything that's been going on with, like, Me Too movement and things like that. Stuff like this could definitely have an impact on the the presidential election. Got it. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I would agree, especially, like, if it keeps, like, coming back up and doesn't blow over, it'll definitely be a game changer. You know, what should we do about this? And maybe their first step will be, like, not wanting to vote for him. <laughs> I feel like it's shocking enough that it can be, it can affect his chances. If your professor did this to you in class, what would your reaction be? Holy shit, I need to leave. I would be so creeped out. I think I would tell my friends and ask them what I should do. Yeah, I don't know. Same. If a professor was touching you the way Joe Biden was touching women in these videos, what would be your reaction? The same as these women. No. Would not be okay with that. If you had a professor and you saw them doing this to a, a girl in your class, what would you think? Uh, I, I think something fishy was happening. That's <laughs> that's not right. I'm Kevin Phillips with Kevin. Sam! Sam! 
So the rioting, wow, it's pretty crazy. Flyer news, breaking UD is suspending in-person classes beginning Wednesday with university housing closing at 6 p.m. due to the spread of the coronavirus. Online classes will begin March 23rd and continue April 6th. As you might imagine, kids, many of whom are in debt to pay, in debt to pay to live in said dorms, weren't happy with the news and they decided to gather in large crowds of protests or just for fun. It's hard to tell exactly what is going on here. UD students gather in large crowds at Low Street and South Student Neighborhood Tuesday night in reaction to the news that the university housing would close Wednesday for most students due to the spread of coronavirus. <clears throat> Bobby Lewis deleted this tweet because several University of Dayton students have claimed to me that the incident wasn't very rel- related to coronavirus at all. Students were basically just having a party and the cops cracked down with right gear, which sounds like co- college in Ohio to me. Flyer News. We have a video of police officers shooting what appears to be non-lethal weapons of students. Police in riot gear have been spotted. Video that shows students blocking Low Street. This was before the police action. We've got a statement from university officials. A large disorderly crowd that grew up to more than 1,000 people gathered at Low Street starting around 11 p.m. Throwing objects and bottles in the streets and at police and jumping on cars. Police have verbal orders to disperse, which was ignored. Police have launched pepper balls, which are unsuccessful in reducing the crowd side. At least one person has been injured. Two clarification university officials. It was not tear gas. Police lost pepper balls. And two, the reported injury was from a thrown bottle. So, basically, it's usual liberals. Hey, Obama told us to gather. And they went out and protested and tore shit up. Media ignored it. Socialist students claim safety would be deteriorated. With new police station. Yeah. University of Utah students, government senator, voted down a bill regarding a gift from a class of 2020 that would provide $30,000 to open a police office at the school, Ray Open University Union Building. The idea was presented by Associate Students University of Utah Vice President of Student Relations, Gabe Martinez, and was sponsored by student Mitch Kirkham and Assembly and Damon NGO in Senate. ASUU Vice President of Student Relations, along with various students and student organizations, University Union, and blah, 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 blah. The gift aimed at solving the issue of how the University Police Department and student body can work together and how we can hold each other accountable. When asked the student body and sourcing information before the draft of the bill and then after, the idea was feasible way that students could play an active role. He then spoke about safety and how the police station would make it closer, blah, blah, blah. Martinez said that this would help students from marginalized groups. Additionally, students could then, in a six-year period <clears throat> before renovations, have a say in the exact space and what it looked like the whole community. They then said, oh, no, 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 it wouldn't be safe because police are the devil. That's just a year. In one year, that's how much it's changed. UMD students go down the same line, claim Matt Walsh's rhetoric gets us killed. Yeah. Somebody speaking gets us killed. Conservative commentator Matt Walsh was about to address the student audience money at the University of Maryland. One leftist student's group made it clear he was not welcome on campus. <clears throat> the Prison Resistance Project, whose stated mission is to foster, strengthen, unite, and sustain intense resistance to the criminal punishment system, is listed on the UMD's website. We are first and foremost a prison abolition group, which means that we educate and agitate for the politics and goals of this movement and apply it as a tweet on Monday. The group singled out Walsh, labeling him a noted bigot. Prison Resistance Project noted bigot Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire will speak at an event tonight. The ideology espouses a danger to our trans and non-binary siblings. Fascists are not entitled to a platform, so let's all make clear tonight that he's not welcome. And they even had a huge thing with a bunch of fucking freaks from Stonewall. 
on it. Yeah, that's what they... He, Matt Walsh caused Stonewall. Yeah, that's what, that's what they're saying. Caution is another event. This is event is a threat to LGBT people. This is the kind of rhetoric that gets us killed. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> uh, let's get down to the point. This event is a threat to LGBT people. Matt Walsh is a raging transphobe, homophobe, racist, and fascist. He is not arguing in good faith and advocates for the criminalization and institutionalization of LGBT people. No, he doesn't. We will not entertain debate about whether everyone deserves rights and basic human dignity. On behalf of the LGBT student population at UMD, do not engage with the speaker or attend his event. Leave now! Matt Walsh then tweeted later, the protesters stayed outside, refused to come in and engage. I was hoping today would be a day that a leftist finally defines the word woman for me, but apparently not. Dreams lives on, though. Someday. Someday. Which is pretty funny. Which brings us to gay shit. Hey. 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 Bow. 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 Little pump and cut. Some of the couples from Love is Blind are here. Not everyone who appeared on the show found love. I was in uh, one of the early episodes. I wasn't I wasn't looking for love and I didn't find it. I have fallen in love, and it's so much more beautiful than just basing somebody off their looks. Hello? Hello? Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> oh, I know Richie's song. Anyway. How you feeling? Not great. Uh, I spent my entire weekend at Costco picking up hand sanitizer and water. We'd love to hear your name again. Your full name. Ellen Milady DeGeneres, but you can call me Milady for short. Me lady. Your belly. What about my belly? I wanted to give you something that meant something to me. Did you get the box? Look, if it's a hand sanitizer or water, I have plenty. Oh, I hope it's a Rolex. It's not heavy enough, but it. And when you open the box, what do you see? Nothing. It's empty. What the heck, Damien? Besides my brother and my family. Oh. This better be good. You have now become the most important thing in my life, and I can oh, put you in that box. Blah, 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 blah. Where's my gift? So I took the bow off the box. Just tell me what the gift is. And I put the bow in my right hand. Because today, I don't just give you a piece of me. I give you all of me. Ah, uh, this is one of my favorites. Because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. My head is underwater, but I'm breathing fine. Stop. In the name of love, before you break my heart. I am your gift. I get on one knee for the first time in my life. I'm sorry? And I ask you, will you marry me? Oh, no, no, there's a mix-up here. No, I, I'm here for a Netflix meeting. I think I came in the wrong door. I look forward to spending the rest of my life with you. Ooh, this took a turn. I love you. Oh. Okay, somebody get me out of this thing. No straight people. So that's basically Ellen bitching that there wasn't enough gay people on Love is Blind. Like the only show that 
Netflix thing gay the fuck up. Don Butler explains why only trans people can define transphobia in a way that's impossible to argue with. Alright, here's what she says. This is a British person. You're one of the most outspoken LGBT plus allies of parliament of any political party. When did the fight for LGBT rights become an integral part of your political agenda? Uh, I'll surmise. Because I'm gay. Trans women have been around for many, many years. Oh, yeah. And that's stupid. Two of the organizations are named in these pledges were called trans-exclusionary hate groups by the labor campaign for trans rights. They deny that they're transphobic. What do you think about being in charge of defining what transphobe view is? So obviously trans people will define what transphobia is. You cannot be the voice of other people with, with, with those lived experience. It's the same with anti-Semitism. Jewish people define what anti-Semitism is. Trans people define what transphobia is. Trans people define what transphobia is, the person asked. I wasn't keen, to be honest, on naming organizations, and that's why I have, I've had, had to have a conversation to clarify the wording around it, because that's what we don't want to do, is advocate any aggression in any way. So I did call to talk to them and clarify the wording, but it's not just, it's not, it, it's not a joke. We're talking about the people's lives. We're talking about people, their lived experiences being abused and attacked for those who they are. And I think we need to be a society that cares about them. The simple thing is trans women are women and trans men are men. I cover this because it goes on forever. It's a long interview that I don't think there is. She never defines transphobia. And there's a reason because they don't want to define it. It's like racism. It's whatever the fuck we want to say to shut you up. I mean, let's be honest. Pink News every week has somebody got attacked. There's no proof the person attacked them because they're gay, bi, trans, whatever. But we get a call it a hate crime because our purpose is to get our agenda across, which is everybody needs to be like us. Embrace our lifestyle. 7,000 fucking pronouns. Republicans, and this is from The Advocate, are trying to cut funding to libraries hosting Drag Queen Story Hall. Republican lawmakers in Minnesota have introduced a bill that would cut all funding for public libraries if they host Drag Queen Story Hall. At Drag Green Story Hour event, people in drag read to children, sometimes with books with LGBT themes, gender stereotypes, gender identity, and LGBT plus families. But the anti-LGBT plus anti-abortion Minnesota representative, oh gee, we had to get the intersectionality in, Eric Lucero has decided the events are inappropriate for children. According to Minnesota Post, a section of Lucero's website, which has since been removed, said the U.S. government was targeting an assault against the family union by allowing gay marriage and homosexual lifestyle and blending the gender distinctions such as women in combat and homosexually open in the service. Republican lawmaker introduced a bill on Monday, March 9th that will cut all funding to libraries that do drag queen story hour. The bill proposes for calendar year 2021 and later a public library that hosts a drag queen story hour event shall have regional library system support aid from the Department of Education reduced by 100%. Aaron May Quaid, a former Minnesota representative and current advocacy director for gender justice wrote, what was the process to get to this bill? Hey, Reviser's Office, full of serious nonpartisan lawyers and staff, I hear people are reading books to kids in libraries. Draft me a bill that will defund public libraries if they continue their story hour nonsense. <coughs> Not only is this pointless, it seems extremely easy to get around if we're to pass. Renamed to storytelling with famous people in fine clothing and makeup. And then let MNGOP try to determine who isn't fab. Okay, I'm really curious if they also include a legal definition of drag queen. 
Others pointed out that would be incredibly difficult to enforce as there is no legal definition of drag queen. Why do they get upset that people don't want their kids sexualized? Why? Why would you expect people to think it was okay? Because understand this, not everybody gets the information. Not everybody follows Twitter, Facebook, of all these organizations. And how about somebody wants to take their kid to the library and they walk in and you freaks are booty shaking. As a heteronormative, I wouldn't want my kid to see two heteros twerking at a fucking library. A library is supposed to be a place of education and reading, not twerking and dry-humping little kids in chairs, as we played two podcasts ago. But then, the American Psychological Association now says they support trans restrooms. No proof in this, or studies, or anything. We just do it, because if we don't say that, you fucking moon bats, and your agenda will put us in pain. So, mob rules, we're just going to say it. Advocate also had this, the homo historian, Dr. Eric Cervini, is an authority on 1960s gay activism that opened his magic closet to showcase his knowledge alongside looks online. I'm not reading it, but that was an article in this guy's work. One of the stories that really surprised me in our gay section today is the same thing we'll see in Everything's Racist, because I have some fucked up stories from The Root. Remember, The Root is a subsidiary of the National Broadcasting Company. This fucking thing just baffled me. It baffled me that this was a thing. Because if white people did this, once again, that's the slide roll. If white, if I went online and said, I am so glad a white person's in charge of this. You would be a racist motherfucker, ran out on a rail, banned off Twitter, you'd lose your job, your entire family would be stamped out of existence. But this was on three gay sites. The Advocate, Pink News, and The Washington Blade, I think is what it's called. I can't remember the name of it, I never can CDC worker with lanyard instills faith that lesbians will fix COVID-19. A photo of a woman working for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has inspired an outpouring of love for lesbians on Twitter from users who feel the com- comforted in the face of COVID-19. By the sight of a woman assumed to be lesbian with a lanyard around her neck. She does look lesbian. For relief, I felt on the U.S. COVID-19 response is the CDC posting this picture from their emergency operations center showing there is at least one lesbian with a keychain neck lanyard that jangles when she walks on the job. It was started by Tabor. At Tabor. Now, I'm going to double dissect this. A, the racial implications or the prejudicial, bigoted ramifications of the opposite. If you just said white or you said cis... I am so happy this cis woman, to put it on apples to apples. Oh, it'd be fucking crazy. But presume gay. Isn't that wrong also to say, I think you're gay? I I think you're gay. I mean, I know we all do it. Everybody does it. I mean, I've talked to the story of the tranny dude who went off on me at Starbucks because he presumed 
I was a redneck in a Jeep with a dip and a camouflage hat on. So he presumed. But you can do that on the left. You can't do it on the right. <clears throat> but isn't that inappropriate? I mean, I thought that was inappropriate. We're not supposed to do that. Story goes on. The Post sparked a flood of tweets praising lesbians in charge with some reference to the fo- showstopper ki- Ring of Keys from From Home about a butch woman with whom the young lesbian main character feels a connection. The tweet also met backlash for its assumption that the woman in the photo is a lesbian. While she didn't confirm her sexual identity the subject of the photo, Jen Borman weighed in on the post encouraging people to practice good hygiene. Proudly fighting the good fight with my lanyard, wash your hands, one Twitter user responded, Jen, you're the most favorite lanyard-wearing, key-dangling lesbian friend without making any assumptions about Borman's sexual identity. It's certain that her image started a conversation about how people respond to the depiction of an apparently competent woman. One person on Twitter called the original tweet, the best recruitment of more lesbians in public health. Read some of the responses to Berman's pictures below. Best anthem for company reassuring image. Tim, you inspire me. I'm envisioning a room filled with keychain neck lanyard wearing lesbians holding hands in a circle, solving basic anything with their almighty power. Oh, thank God! If she has a second set of keys, carabiners to a belt loop, we're going to have a vaccine in like 48 hours. Woo! We are saved by the confidence inherent in a non-typical sexual preference of a single government employee. Yeah, that's just some fucked up shit. All right, that's just fucked up. And it shows that the people that are totally against it, like me for the transgender, I truly believe it's a mental illness. Don't give a fuck. You can have it, but I don't think it's a thing. Maybe there's something to the gay is a mental thing. Because if you're mentally getting happy because you saw somebody like you, that's that's the big thing on the left. I am My life's being reaffirmed because I saw a gay cartoon character really need to find some self-worth because it shouldn't take a cartoon it shouldn't take a supposed gay person with a lanyard around their fucking neck to make you feel good about yourself if your gayness or your transgenderness or your blackness or your asianness needs to be reaffirmed by other people maybe you need to get some help because i don't need an army dude on TV to make me feel good about serving in the army. Do I like watching SEAL teams? Sure. But once again, I use that analogy all the time. I don't demand SEAL teams. I don't come on TV and say, I want the 101st Airborne Division series. And if you don't do it, you're ruining my life and I'm going to commit suicide. So thus you're killing people. Because that's what we do with this gay shit. To everything is fucking racist and you're going to hear Lamont Hill say why it's a black person's should be anti-Semitic against Israel. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. There's a long tradition of black folk who have stood up and spoken out against the occupation of Palestine and spoken for the liberation and self-determination of the Palestinian people. I'm Mark Lamont Hill, and this is a word about why black Americans should support Palestinian liberation. I first became interested in the Middle East when I became interested in Malcolm X. I read Malcolm's story, and when I saw that Malcolm in 1959 and again in 1964 had made these trips to Africa 
and also to the Middle East, I became interested in what Malcolm was interested in, which was thinking about black freedom on a global scale. I then went back to graduate school after my PhD to pursue another degree in Middle East studies. I wanted to know what it meant to be black in Jordan or Iran or Egypt or Palestine. Since the end of the 19th century, there has been a growing battle over the area that is now known as Israel and Palestine. Waves of Jewish immigration into the region combined with tensions over land, over employment, over law, over the, what the state would look like, have gotten more and more and more intense over this period of time. Over decades, we saw greater and greater emphasis on pushing Palestinians off of the land, taking away land rights, taking away employment opportunities, and you saw resistance, you saw struggle, you saw battles, and at the same time, you also have increased anti-Semitism, you have increased pressure around the globe, which is compounded once you get to the 1930s and 1940s, because you now have this thing called World War II, of course you have the Holocaust, you have all these things that are, that are legitimizing a very real need to find a safe haven for Jewish people. The question was, how do we provide a safe haven for Jewish people and still honor the fact that there are indigenous Palestinians on this land who have a right to be here? And so for that reason, we see a struggle over the region and over that particular slice of land that continues until today. To call it a settler colonial project is not to deny the legitimacy of Judaism or of Jewish people in the region. Settler colonialism is not just controlling the territory and the land, but it's actually moving onto that land and replacing the indigenous people of the land. Israeli settler colonialism is more complicated than other places. There is a long-standing and legitimate Jewish presence in Israel and in historic Palestine. And what we've seen since 1882, which is the beginning of the first major immigration, is not just a wave of people coming in, but a very organized and, and systematic attempt to push Palestinians out. I don't like to make apples to apples comparisons between what Palestinians are going through and what black people are going through. I don't want people to feel like the struggles have to be the same to be worth the investment in them. That said, there's a long tradition of black folk who have stood up and spoken out against the occupation of Palestine and spoken for the liberation and self-determination of the Palestinian people. Huey P. Newton and the Black Panthers believed in the struggle of the Palestinian people and showed solidarity. So you got from Malcolm, SNCC, the Panthers, Angela Davis, June Jordan, a black person standing with Palestine ain't new. There are people in the United States who say, look, black folk are catching enough hell here. We should put our 100% attention on that. And I ain't mad at people that say that. I don't agree, but I understand the impulse to say, look, cops are shooting us. The economy is collapsing. Schools are broken. How can I think about someone in Palestine? We should care about the Palestinian freedom struggle first because they're human beings. And as African people, we don't have the luxury of choosing who we're going to be allied with. We have to side with all principled humanistic freedom struggles. I don't care where they are. We can't get free unless everybody's free. That's not just some lefty cliche. That's a fact. The networks of power, the structures of power that oppress people in one country are connected to the structures that oppress people in this country. So for black folk to get free, everybody needs to be free. We have an opportunity to not just offer solidarity in words, but to commit to political action, grassroots action, local action, and international action that will give us what justice requires. And that is a free Palestine from the river to the sea.
When I said free Palestine from the river to the sea, I was making a call for justice for Palestinian people who live inside the state of Israel, for those Palestinian people who are in the West Bank, and for those who are in Gaza. There are different forms of oppression and violence and occupation happening in each of those areas. And I was saying, I don't want to just talk about one of those areas. I want to talk about all those areas. And my ultimate vision uh, is a single democratic state, one person, one vote, secular for everybody. No Jew should be pushed out. No Jew should be harmed. No Palestinian should be pushed out. No Palestinian should be harmed. For me, this is the vision. That means that the land should be free from the river to the sea. That was the argument. Some people said, oh, but Hamas says from the river to the sea. And if Hamas says it, then you must be supporting Hamas and you must be supporting a project of, of eliminating uh, Jews from the area. Let me be very clear. At no point was I calling for harm to Jewish people, violence against Jewish people, for pushing Jewish people out of the land. None of that is what I'm calling for. None of that is what I believe in. We must fight for and protect Jewish brothers and sisters at all costs. Jews have a right to self-determination, to freedom, to justice, to safety, to protection, to dignity. They do, but so do Palestinians. I'm calling for Palestinian self-determination and freedom. I'm calling for the liberation of Palestinian people. And if Israel were occupied, I'd be calling for the same thing. If Jews were under attack in Israel the way Palestinians are, I'd be calling for that. The same way I do for Jews who are under attack all around the world, in Europe, in the United States, in the Middle East. We have to protect Jewish people, but it can't be the only conversation we have. We have to be able to talk about protecting Jewish people and protecting Palestinian people and protecting vulnerable people around the world. And if we can do that, now we got a real move. Yeah, I, I just got to bring it up again. I, I think there's a problem in the African-American beauty with Jewish people, especially in the Northeast. I, I, with all the attacks, there's just something going on. It's not good, but you know you don't have to look at it because you just have to say there's a bunch of whites, white supremacists everywhere. There's white supremacists everywhere is what our media says in the age of Trump. To the lady who had a bad uh, mate, yeah, she got an op-ed. Yeah, no shit. They rolled this out. Gay took a lot of heat for what shockingly bad math, but it seemed like most of the heat consisted of jokes about her intelligence or lack thereof. That's not nearly as glamorous as making herself into some kind of martyr in the war on racism. A racist Twitter mob came for me on trivial math mistake. I'm not going anywhere. Gay's piece included four examples of racist comments she received following her MSDNC appearance. She makes it sound as though those kind of comments, rather than comments pointing out that she just plain sucks at math, made up the bulk of the responses to her trivial math mistake. We find it hard to believe. But Gay found a narrative she likes, so one that takes her off the hook for embarrassing mistakes, so gotta lean into it. I write a lot about, and this is what she wrote, about the underdog, which tends to make some people feel threatened or simply uncomfortable. When I appeared on that TV show last week, I had been working for many days interviewing black voters of the South who were determined to defeat Donald Trump. Donald Trump, get Trump into everything, and you can get away with murder. Whom <clears throat> they see as a nightmare embodiment of the old hatred many of them fought to overcome. Many of those Americans had survived far worse than the racial terror of Jim Crow than anything I can imagine. I thought about the black man I met at the march across Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, who had been beaten bloody by the police there half a century ago. I thought about the older black woman who approached me in Selma Coffee Shop to tell me she was proud of me. I thought about my father who grew up enduring the daily indignities of segregated South Carolina and Detroit. I'm here because of them, and there's nothing the haters can do about it. Now, first and foremost, let's, let's break it down. Jim Crow was Democrats, bitch. I said bitch. Yeah. 
And you can't excuse being a dumbass and getting mocked when your party spends all day being dumbasses mocked. And you have websites like The Root who fucking say horrible things about white people all fucking day long. So you can't excuse being a dumbass on racism. But she did. Uh, did Drill write this headline? I am uh, Highway Czar. I don't know what that means. Uh, Luke Thompson. It wasn't that trivial, Mara. The people who assure us Medicare for all, free college, canceling student debt, etc. can all be paid for by billionaires thing being off by a factor of one million is trivial. That was BT. But it wasn't a trivial error. The difference between a million and one dollar and fifty-five, fifty-three cents was the entire premise. And it goes on and on to Sean Davis, who's my favorite. Math is racist and facts that form the foundation of an entire broadcast news segment are trivial. But they can do that. The Twitter mob is the left, not the right. The left. You're the mob. If a conservative did the same thing on Fox, Seltzer would do it op-eds, covering on his TV. It would be a whole thing. And then they say Trump 40 times in there. This person likes Trump. Hmm. Then we go to uh, the root, as I said we would. The Black Person's Guide to Corona Apocalypse. I'm going to read some of this because this is some fucked up shit. There's an old black saying that goes, when white folks catch cold, black people get pneumonia. Now that white folks are catching the coronavirus, what will black folks get? Coronavirus Ultra? Heineken Fluiza? Stella Authoritarises? While we may not worry about missing the St. Patrick's Day parade, shaking hands at CPAC, or sharing a communion chalice, for many black people, the spread of COVID-19 has different implications. For instance, how will this affect the opening weekend of the cookout season? Should you re-examine your blunt-sharing policy? Does brown liquor weaken the immune system, or can Hennessy kill the coronavirus? We have questions. Luckily, we came up with this guide. Number one, don't white people panic. Once again, don't black people panic on Fox News whole day on CNN, folks. This is an NBC-owned fucking entity. While the coronavirus may cause mass hysteria akin to radical Islamic terrorism, God, you're a fucking brainless idiot, or Negro thugs, we must remember that white men are much deadlier terrorist threat. White people are much more likely to be victimized by another white person, and black people are accustomed to health risks. We didn't slip in there. Black people are more accustomed to be killed by black people because that's the truth, but okay. We've seen this according to the CDC. People at higher risk for serious complications from COVID are the elderly along with people that have heart disease, diabetes, lung disease, and hypertension. Black people disproportionately suffer from these illnesses, so it may hit our communities harder. African Americans are also more likely to be uninsured and have less access to medical care, which may prevent them from seeking treatment. The same agency reports the CDC also says that black women are three or four more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications. But does Sean Kemp panic every time a woman gets pregnant? No. If a health disparity made black people panic, we'd be overwhelmingly supporting Bernie Sanders, not Joe Biden. Use it to your advantage. Get out of work. That's literally what she says. Create a blacklist. And that's stuff that black people need. Don't spread the hot epidemic. People tell you more people die from flu, which is only true because more people contract the flu. However, the infection and death rate seems to be higher for coronavirus than few. For instance, more people die from car accidents than motorcycles, but the fatality rate is 20 times higher on bicycles. Saying the flu kills more people than COVID is like saying stairs are more dangerous, so don't say it. 
Prayer changes things, so does medical treatment. If you're sick, go see a doctor. That's their article. <clears throat> I just cover it because it's racist as fuck. And I broke it all down with the white man, African brother. I mean, Jesus, it is white people. Let the white people die. It's basically the summation at the bottom of the fucking article. Fresno man accused of four murders admits he wanted to kill white people. You get fed up with racism, you get tired of letting things slide. <clears throat> Listen to the tone of this article. We've all heard the phrase, an eye for an eye, and after enduring a lifetime of racism, that was the exact justification that accused killer Corey Ali Muhammad gave authorities for his decision to allegedly murder four people in 2017. In a taped interview with Fresno detective, Muhammad explained why he killed Carl Williams III, a 25-year-old security guard at a Motel 6 in central Fresno on April 13th, and how that led to three more shooting deaths about a week later. Muhammad faces death penalty found guilty of the quadruple murder. His lawyer said Muhammad suffers from mental illness, including schizophrenia. He also told people he was acting out of anger over the treatment of black people in the United States. On the tape, Muhammad tells Detective Victor Miranda and Miguel Alvarez about how Williams was allegedly disrespectful to him. Muhammad was visiting a friend that night when a security guard noticed him and told the manager. Muhammad was then asked to register at the office and pay a visitor fee, which he eventually agreed to after arguing with his friend. <clears throat> but when Muhammad went to the office to register, the manager testified that he felt threatened and kicked Muhammad and his friend out of the hotel in response. Then the, this led to Muhammad gunning down Williams shortly after. In the recording played during the trial, Muhammad revealed that after years of being disrespected as a black person, it finally reached its breaking point. It starts taking its toll on you and you get fed up with sarcasm, or racism, excuse me, he said. You get tired of letting things slide. Muhammad then reportedly went on the run and realized that it was only a matter of time until he was apprehended, deciding he would kill as many white people as possible, which he allegedly did. From the Sacramento Bee, Muhammad said he targeted a Pacific gas electric truck because Muhammad's father worked for the company until his addiction, crack cocaine, ruined his life. Muhammad blames the U.S. government for his alleged role in allowing crack cocaine to spread. He said the sight of the PG&E truck triggered him. When he saw a white male in the passenger seat of the truck, he raised his Colt Python 357 and fired four times, hitting 34-year Zachary Randalls. When I walked up the PG and truck, I saw a Mexican driver and a white guy. Muhammad admitted his tape confession. I didn't want to target the driver because he was Mexican, so I shot the white dude. <clears throat> Soon after, Muhammad would later kill two other white men, Mark Gass at 37 and David Jackson at 58. I think we all can identify with being fed up with white people's shit. But homie, this ain't the way. As his trial continues, Muhammad could face death penalty if convicted. That's an article on the roof. NBC. That's pretty fucked up. Secondly, white guy goes out and kills a bunch of black people. It'll be national news. I never even heard of this. Never heard of it. So, that's some fucked up shit. The New York Times 1619 Project has come under fire even from liberal-leaning historians for its liberties of history and facts. <clears throat> and the truth for that, what it's worth, Project Architect Nicole Jana Jones recently made a clarification to one of its many dubious claims. Yesterday, we made an important clarification to my 1619 Project essay about the colonists' motivation during the American Revolution. An attempt to sum summarize and streamline journalists can sometimes lose important context and nuance. I did that here. It was just a small clarification, though. No big deal. 
The clarification is small, just two words, but important. We added that slavery was one of the primary motivations for some of the colonists to declare independence. As written in the peers that I am saying there was a universal motivation of all colonists, I wasn't clear enough. But we get back to that. Here's the rest of Hannah Joe's thread on the subject. That one sentence has been the subject of seemingly endless debate since the project published at four, at times, obscuring the power of the body of work, which included 40K words and written by nearly two dozen writers. This is something I regret internally. Both Jake Silverstein and I were spent the last few months engaging in numerous discussions with historians of the period over the sentence and the historiography that backs it up. Writing sweeping passages of history is not easy, and sometimes there is tension between journalistic inclinations and historiographic ones. So many historians understand that and engage in a deeply helpful and good faith effort to help us revise and strengthen this project. History is engaging in the work of constant revisions. We will continue to work to strengthen the 619. We'll continue to work with historians. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. You weren't clear enough. You know, if the whole project weren't an exercise in historical revisionism, we might be a little more inclined to take Hannah Jones' contrition at face value. But she hasn't really demonstrated that she deserves the benefit of the doubt. There's a million people. You suck at history. Because she literally does. I've read some of that stuff. It's just, everything's racist. Just like our soundbite says. And she thinks it's okay to do that. So, going into liberal shit, you're going to hear two soundbites. Because once, well, yeah, we'll do two just for editing purposes. Medical drama takes a dig at thoughts and prayers in a school shooting episode. And our climate soundbite, GMA, save the fucking seals or something. And AOC, if Biden wins, we are doomed. Followed by Christina Amamamapur. Virus is good for climate. Yeah, that's an angle they're thinking now. I'm just... I'm really sorry. For what? For all us adults making you kids deal with this problem rather than fixing it ourselves. That's not fair. Yeah, we've received your thoughts and prayers. Thanks. But you know what gives me hope? What? You. You and your whole generation. You blow me away. You're already taking on the big issues way better than us. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. I'm just... I'm really sorry. For what? For all us adults making you kids deal with this problem rather than fixing it ourselves. That's not fair. Yeah, we've received your thoughts and prayers. Thanks. But you know what gives me hope? What? You. You and your whole generation. You blow me away. You're already taking on the big issues way better than us. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Ah, no. Me too. No teeth. I did. And this little guy and I got acquainted. To be clear, this species, they cannot survive without eyes to be born on. They need about three weeks, sometimes up to four, to learn how to be a harp sale mature and be able to survive on their own. 
Over the last 30 years, warmer temperatures have led to less winter ice. We're slowly warming towards this, this Gulf St. Lawrence without sea ice. Peter Galbraith, a research scientist for Canada's Department of Fisheries and Oceans, estimates that in just 75 years, these animals will no longer have any solid ice. There's no escaping it. I mean, it's, it's completely tied to, to global warming. Weaker ice, less ice. One day, no ice for them? Our world is changing. And as it does, their world is disappearing. Everybody has an impact on this planet. Every one of us. And I think if we all felt we were part of this bigger ecosystem, that we might actually look at what we do every day. So we tell them the story, and then possibly these stories make an impact on some of their decision making and their behavior. Good morning, America. So what a story, and I kind of let them tell their own story, if you will, and it's not just about those cute, adorable faces. Uh, they are in trouble. Now, let me give you the good news, guys. The health of the harp seal right now, the population is stable. That's a good thing. There's a stable population. But as one of the scientists put it, we don't ever have now good years and bad years of ice. They're just okay years and bad years, and that's not a good thing. But again, go out there. It's not an experience I ever thought I'd have, but they got to tell their own story, guys. And, and, and TJ, first of all, thank you for going up there to share the story with everybody. And it, this is, is heartbreaking at the same time because this affects future generations of harp seals. And, and what you saw, our kids and grandkids may not see what you saw up there. So what did you share with your daughter from your trip there? So you think in years and years down the road, will those kids not actually get a chance to go to the Gulf and see these animals because they're not there? That's terrifying to think of. And also, what an illustration. Look, I, I put the cardboard in this bin. I put the glass in this bin, right? I put the cans in that bin, recycling. And I, because I'm supposed to, but to see how decisions we're making directly impact and is taking away a world from an animal. And to see that, that I, I understood or, or see climate change in a way maybe a lot of people don't get to experience. We do the right thing because we're supposed to, but to see it like this still kind of strikes a different chord. Um, one thing that I do, that I am concerned about, um, overall, 100% legitimately is in our climate. And, um, I'm legitimately concerned about, uh, fossil fuels. I'm legitimately concerned about what this means for a just transition. I'm legitimately concerned about what this means for carbon emissions. Um, and we're going to have to organize a lot. Um, there are, there are many, many issues where people's lives are on the line, whether it's pursuing decarceral policy, whether it's making sure that we have humanity at our border, whether it's, um, you know, making sure that women have access to reproductive, not just women, all people um, have access to reproductive health care. All of these things are life and death issues, but the scale and the feedback and the irreversible nature of climate change is something that I think we all need to really pay a lot of close attention to. Um, and that's something that 
is really top of mind whenever I think about any election, uh, particularly one as decisive as a presidential election. So, you know, those are a lot of what we need to focus on, as always, as we have always has, as we have always needed to focus on, are the issues. Um, and that's something that the good news that we have tonight is that that's one area where we are winning. So if there is a silver lining to this crisis, it's visible in the skies above China. The dramatic slowdown in manufacturing and driving has caused a reduction in carbon emissions. We've all seen these NASA satellite images which show the improvement in China's air quality. Now someone who has dedicated her life to climate change policy is Christiana Figueres. She's architect of the 2015 Paris Agreement. She was the UN negotiator. And in her new book, The Future We Choose, she urges us all to harness our technological, political and economic potential to create long-term solutions. Despite the very real threat that climate change poses to our planet, she tells contributor Sheila Kohatka why she doesn't lose hope. So there's a sense right now that we are in something of an environmental freefall uh Crisis, maybe? Crisis is a good way of putting it. Just at the moment when things seem really dire and urgent, mm -hmm. it feels, at least from the outside, that policy decisions, uh, global cooperation, all of that is sort of moving backwards. What are the odds that we could turn things around in time? You outline two possible scenarios for life on Earth in the year 2050. The first scenario is what we will end up with if we continue on the current path, uh, not really changing our environmental policies at all, perhaps chipping away a bit around the edges. Can you describe a little bit what that world would look like if we just continued laissez-faire on the path that we're on? So um, in the year 2050, if we do not do what we have to do by the human race, we will walk out of our homes and we will not be able to walk down the street without putting a mask on because the air is going to be so polluted that it will be life-threatening. We will not be able, because of heat, we will not be able to exercise or play outside. We have much more prevalent diseases because we will have much more dengue, we will have much more malaria. We will look at the news every day and we will see millions of people migrating away from their homes because they do not have enough water, they do not have enough food, they do not have the environmental conditions to make their home habitable. They will be forced to migrate and there will be millions of people migrating away from their homes and we will have military protection at many borders of countries. That will produce a social, political, and economic pressure that will unseat most democracies in the world. This is not far-fetched. This is what science is very clearly putting out to us to contemplate this, not as a possibility, but rather as the path that we are walking toward. So this is no exaggeration. This is not a hyperbole. For the record, if you hear me coughing, I don't have corona. It's allergies. I, my wife decided to go crazy today and work in the pen, which I usually do. But I wasn't today because I was podcasting. So I went out 
I helped her for a few things like laying about 50 pavers down and I breathe in and it's a horrible day in Tennessee right now. It's like very high pollen. And um, regardless if I take Flonase or not, if I work in the yard during this time of the year, I'm fucked. I don't even fish this time of year. Um, you know, I got disability for it. I don't know why the Army paid me for that, but I, I don't know what's happened. The older I get, my sinuses go to shit, and I can't breathe. I have an inhaler for this time of year. It's just this time of year. Um, pollen rips me apart. So um, back to the podcast. I just didn't want people to think, oh, this guy's got corona. I can't, I can't listen to the podcast. I'll get corona. I mean, the media's got everybody so freaked out. Pretty soon it'll be, you can't watch this TV show. You might get corona. The climate shit is just so fucking stupid. And AOC saying we're fucked because of Biden. Come on, man. Come on. Biden's a fucking... He's a chump. It doesn't matter what you guys put up. He's going to say yes if he's president. What the fuck? So we covered the abortion shit, but I didn't see how bad it became. Because there was a whole thread of these that came up. Uh, PPFA, we covered... Issa Hoag for Happy Abortion Provider Appreciation Day is what I'm talking about. To all those who enable women to control their own destinies. And they show superheroes walking on a horizon. Uh, people of color specifically for Caitlin. Supergirl for Lith Fund. Katrina Lipinski. People of color, no white people. Thank you abortion providers. Just black people. Uh... Reproductive freedom and religion freedom, all people of color. Hooray, woohoo from NAF, all uh, opinions, PRC, abortion providers should love and appreciate it. They are heroes, sending all our love to abortion providers, abortion access front with a, we won't, we won't go backstreet boy, and I was going to play it, but I, I decided not to, so, yeah. Then there was a big, uh, gathering, uh, Students, this was at an abortion clinic. Uh, students praying outside of Washington Planned Parenthood said they were exposed to multiple instances of obscene and inappropriate behavior for people passing by. Incidents include... Well, I'm going to read this after we play this. This is what a person did. Now, if you've ever watched Unplanned, religious groups do this. All right, They go and pray and try to make people not commit abortion because a lot of these girls don't have a family or they didn't talk to their family there's a lot of things i understand young kids i understand and they think this is the choice and they try to help them and there's groups that go up and try to help get them help during the pregnancy get them adoption blah 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 blah. this is what a pro-abort did because yeah remember every time you say something about abortion on twitter the fucking abortion mob comes out and says, fuck your God and craziness, this is a literal soundbite. I didn't make this up. Sorry. What did you say? Satan is the one true Lord. Satan. The dark Lord. You have a sweet baby out there. Oh yeah, I didn't abort her. I I have That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We're just out here praying and trying to support the community. We don't need your prayers. Have a good night. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Now, you know if you went and did that to, uh, like, a mosque? Oh, my God. Or you did it to a Muslim? It'd be national news, but uh, this didn't. So, incidents at this, while these people were just praying. Again, just just praying. 
include a man masturbating at the students from a car, a woman flashing the students, a man hurling a glass vial at them, and a woman yelling, Hail Satan! We will not back down because this just demonstrates how evil the abortion industry is. What calm community college students for life leader Autumn Lindsley told the Daily Caller. To the story. Uh, the incident where a man masturbated from the car, what.com community college students for life leader Autumn Lindsay told the Daily Caller News Foundation that she and several other students were doing a 40 days for life campaign Saturday outside the Bellingham, Washington Planned Parenthood when the incidents occurred. We have people constantly scream at us or flip us off while driving by. Occasionally we have people come talk to us. Sometimes the women going into Planned Parenthood come and talk to us and we tell them that we love them and that they have options. People drove by the group of four students Saturday yelling obscenities and displaying crude gestures. According to Student for Life press release, one man masturbated in a car towards the group as his friends drove slowly by the protesters, it said. Another woman flashed the group while yelling, my body, my choice, according to the press release. Lindsay called the masturbation incident unheard of. <clears throat> it has only happened to us once, and personally, I never... I have never heard that happen anywhere else, she told the DCNF. Video footage showed another woman in a car shouting out, Hail Satan, as she drove away from the students. Satan is the one true Lord. We just listened to it. We don't need your prayers, the woman told the students, and yelled before she drives away, Hail Satan. Lindsay said Satan is mentioned in reference towards people praying outside abortion clinics more than you would think. For some, I think it's just a way for them to try and get under our skin, but the woman driving in her car seemed to be honestly believing in it. The press release also noted that a group of people yelled threateningly in one young student's face, calling him a cocksucker, <clears throat> and that a man rode his bike past the students and threw a vi glass vial at them that shattered. The students called the police to ensure the liquid from the vial was not dangerous or harmful, according to the press release. This kind of intimidation causes some of our volunteers to feel uneasy to sign up to pray for mothers and pre-born children during the 40-day for life event. We're only 11 days in, and we have already been bullied and threatened to the point where our volunteers are nervous to go alone. But we will not back down because this just demonstrates how evil the abortion industry is. We'll stand united together, not let bullies stop us, even though the violence of abortion is celebrated by increasingly violent people. <laughs> the students called the police regarding incidents at the abortion clinic on four different occasions. Courts can be frightening, but we stand together united knowing that we are there because people are dying inside Planned Parenthood. We know that we can always call the police if something happens and we can always make our students feel safe. Students for Life President Kristen Hawkins compared the event to the incident earlier in March where Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer threatened to Supreme Court justice, possibly being pro-life. Whatcom Students for Life bravely stood up against the threats of intimidation and obscenities hurled to them by violent pro-choicers. Abortion advocates are becoming more violent against those who advocate for the innocent, but we will not be silenced. Neither the Bellingham Police Department, Planned Parenthood Federation, or Planned Parenthood of Bellingham responded to any of this because why would they? They don't have to. You know, yelling hail Satan's, telling you're a fucking cocksucker, throwing vials at them, jerking off at them. Yeah, the media doesn't cover that. Well, they shouldn't be there praying, but they're praying. Or, but Trump. I mean, if, if we've learned anything over the last couple weeks, if you can go up there as a sitting senator, a, a big time senator, and threaten Supreme Court justice, well, fuck, you can do whatever the fuck you want. 
Two things back-to-back, because I have to cover this. One, Playboy is going to end their 60-year tradition of Playmate of the Year because of diversity and inclusion. They actually said that. So they'll have an issue with all 12 because everybody gets a participation program trophy. And then Nissan rolled out that piece of fucking shit, Brie Larson, with a woke commercial. Listen to this shit. So I'm going to hold on promoting you this quarter. Cool? Drop the taco. Get in the car. Does this Sentra feel like a compromise to you? Wait, what? The handling, it's good, right? No compromise there. Nope. Watch this. Brake, brake, brake. Rear automatic brake. So if this Nissan Sentra isn't going to compromise, why should you? You're right. Atta girl. The all-new Nissan Sentra with more standard safety features than any other car in its class. That does not make me want to fucking get a Nissan. I don't understand why these car companies or any company believes that going down to the slice of the slice is the way to go. You go to the center. I'm not saying you don't put African Americans or people like that. That's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but these cosheads commercials, you're alienating as many people as you're fucking getting. Or more, really. Humanitarian organizes March for the mid... Humanitarian organizes March for the Martyrs to bring attention to neglected, persecuted Christians. Whoa! (coughs) This is pretty cool. Advocates of persecuted Christians will be marching in Long Beach, California in May to bring attention to what many leaders and advocates have derided as an existential threat that has been ignored or overlooked in the West. Gia Chacon is a founder of For the Martyrs, a nonprofit organization dedicated to bring awareness to the crisis of Christian persecution. Chacon organized the March for the Martyrs following years of humanitarian work in Jordan with refugees from Iraq and Syria as well as Egypt, where she met victims of persecution who inspired her to work towards achieving platform for those who are too often voiceless. The march will take place Saturday, May 9th, followed by a prayer for the persecuted and gathered to educate about the reality of Christian persecution occurring across the world. Speakers at the event will include Father Benedict Kelly, who dedicated his priestly ministry to aiding and advocating for persecuted Christians, and Julian Tamazori, an Assyrian founder of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. In the West, we march for life to celebrate for human rights, and now for the first time in U.S. history, we'll be marching to stand in solidarity with persecuted Christians across the globe. Christians in Iraq have been faced <coughs> multiple episodes of genocide over the last century, most recently as the hands of ISIS, which killed Christians as they worshipped in church, often making their homes with Arab, Arab, marking their homes with Arabic letter N, which meant Nasarini, or Christian. ISIS destroyed some of Iraq's ancient Christian sites in its campaign like Deir Mar Elia, the oldest monastery in Iraq. In Mosul, most churches within the city were destroyed. Syrians Christians similarly faced persecution at the hands of ISIS in northeastern Syria. Christians had their churches destroyed, and in 2015, more than 220 residents were kidnapped and held captive until receiving exorbitant ransoms, the New York Times reported. As in Iraq, most Christians in Syria fled their ancestral homes for countries like the U.S., Germany, or Australia. In Egypt, Coptic Christians reported facing persecutions at all levels of society, both at the hands of the jihadis, but also often by their neighbors. There are now over 260 million Christians worldwide facing high levels of persecutions. But remember a couple of podcasts. We just made it up. It's all made it up. Christians never get persecuted. <clears throat> um, 
After Chacon returned to the U.S. following humanitarian work and had conversations with people about the persecution Christians faced abroad, she was struck with the reality that most people have no idea what's happening around the world. It's not just the Middle East, North Korea, Pakistan, Sudan. Christians in North Korea rank among the most persecuted in the world, according to Open Doors, and face deportation to labor camps as political criminals are being immediately killed if they're discovered. Christians in Pakistan are regarded as second-class citizens. Sudan faced intimidation and church demolition. Despite the persecution, many humanitarian advocates like Chacon find that there doesn't seem to be proportional coverage of the subject, and politicians are not particularly keen on discussing it. There's a misconception that Christians are privileged. It's not politically correct to talk about the wide-scale suffering. Iraqi Christian residents of Kasari, also known as Umadin, some 30 miles kilometers southeast of Mosul, visit the heavily damaged Church of Immaculate Conception. I'm reading the caption on a picture because the building is fucked up. She specifically points to the case of Christians in Nigeria who have suffered kidnappings, burned villages, and the killing of priests in recent years. Former Virginia Republican Congressman Frank Wolf told Daily Caller in February that Christians in Nigeria are facing a genocide. Chacon laments the large-scale slaughter of Nigerian Christians that the mainstream media isn't covering it, period. There's mass funerals, priests are being kidnapped, church roofs are being blown off. The level of persecution has risen so drastically in the last five years that it's hard enough to keep up. <clears throat> Chacon hopes that her event will inspire action through education so that more can be done for the religious freedom of Christians internationally. We live in free countries, and we should use our platform and influence to advocate for religious minorities. Never, ever be a front-page stories on the New York Times. They'll recover it. But it'll be buried, and CNN ain't going to ever talk about this. No, they're not. They'll talk about every Muslim thing, and people felt this, and after 9-11, look, there was more stories on how Muslims felt after 9-11 than there was on, hey, um, why didn't we kill OBL? Why did Clinton let him go three times? So, it's a real thing whether people want to admit it or not. It's there. The liberals can try to bury it, but it just isn't going to happen. So we're going to go to our lighter fare. <sighs> wow. This video's really hard to watch, but I'm going to play it anyway, and then I'll describe it on the other side. I got that from Eric Spencer. Why is the guy from Green Day holding a Pokemon? And it was a listed swine Nick, who I'm following now, an army dude, or he might have been Marine. I couldn't, I didn't look long enough. I know I usually post middle cringe, but TikTok has been a goldmine for kids too young to vote, crying over Bernie. And that's what that guy was doing. It was burning. It was creepy. I don't know if it's, I think it was a guy. I don't know. It, it, it hurts your soul. Then uh, Kurt Schilster brings in the funny, <clears throat> and I saw quite a few of these, but I'm only going to cover one, of conservatives playing the liberal game. My eight-year-old son asked, how can we hope to control the pandemic when Trump's xenophobic science denial is clearly to blame? I did not know how to answer, and I'm literally shaking. 
Story goes, man, when the media created the woke child angle to push home their silly narratives and agenda, they really did those of us who make fun of them for a living a favor. We should send the Playboy writer made up his Hispanic kid on the Metro or asked him why Trump hates him so much a thank you note. We're still making fun of him, and I don't think I covered that one on the show. Paul M. Winters, my 14-year-old daughter, has been a lifelong Republican. She has voted for every GOP president since Eisenhower, but she's vowed not to vote for Trump over this handling. There was another one the other day. My dad's a lifelong Republican, was a retired doctor, and watched Fox News. Now he doesn't watch Fox News and won't vote for Trump, and people researched it, and she totally lied. He's still a current doctor. He still supports Trump on his Twitter page. It was just a lie. Dark 2 Clothing Company. My kid that's not even born yet just said the same thing. Don't know where he learned to talk like that. <laughs> and then lastly, my four-month-old my four month just asked me the same thing. I'm literally shaking. <laughs> so... Then we have some stuff that I thought was funny. The first we have to recognize a runner-up is Joe Biden worship today. The Washington Post conservative opinion writer Jennifer Rubin wrote the following. Everyone watching this is thinking they're giving, they'd give anything to have Biden take over today. And I couldn't find it in my script and then I finally find it. Here is the actual Alyssa Milano while she's watching his stump speech. That's, that's what it was. I have tears in my eyes watching Joe Biden right now. Thank God for his leadership during this crisis. And the thing is so funny about it, he's not in charge of anything. So, how, how, I, I, I don't get it. So, our This is America today is twofold. We're going to go first, <clears throat> some of the worst. NBC pushing Pence, millions will be affected. They tried to get him to say it on the Today Show. He wouldn't. MSNBC, this is Chernobyl and Behar with the op-ed that was rolling around. Trump resigned. But I want to do it opposite. I want to read you something first and then play the soundbite. I found this yesterday on Twitter before it became an article on conservative media. This is what the media has done. And their zeal to tank the economy bad enough that Trump cannot get elected and hope this is an outbreak pandemic so they can pin it on him. I truly believe that in my heart. You can call me a nut, conspiracy theorist. I truly believe that's what they want. I know the DNC does, and I clearly know progs do. This is Rebecca Mira. She appears on her site not to be political. I went to her Twitter. She wasn't political. She's a runner, cross-country runner. I went to the grocery store this afternoon. As I was walking in, I heard a woman yell to me from a car. I walked over and found an elderly woman and her husband. She cranked her window down a bit more, not all the way down, just partially, and explained to me nearly in tears that they were afraid to go in the store, afraid to get sick as they are in their 80s and hear that the novel coronavirus is affecting older people disproportionately and then they don't have family around to help them out through the crack in the window she handed me a hundred dollar bill and a grocery list and asked if i would be willing to buy her groceries i bought the groceries and placed them in her trunk and gave her back the change she told me 
She had been sitting in the car for 45 minutes waiting for the right person to come by. Later on, I know it's time of hysteria and nerves, but offer to help anyone you can. Not everyone has the people to turn to. Brent Allen Thale. Precisely why the media should be ashamed of themselves for intentionally inciting this type of panic. Everyone needs to check on all our senior citizen neighbors and help out during this crisis. Ken not office. That's because they are victims of the sky is falling crowd. I warn people not to listen to fear mongers because it creates panic. But I'm just one common sense person attempting to stem the tide of fear producing BS being perpetrated by leftist idiots. We will get through this. Sean in Oregon even agreed with me. It's not the virus that's going to take us out. It's the panic. It's the literal slowing down, as I started this show off, of the economy where people just stop doing stuff. That's when it will affect you. That's when you won't be able to get food because there wasn't a truck that brought food to your grocery store, nor was there somebody to stock it, nor was there somebody to ring it up. Zach in Tennessee relayed financial figures that I will not put out on a podcast because, you know, we're not supposed to talk about that stuff in public. It's panic. It's insane amount of money people are going out and buying everything because they really are getting freaked out because even though we paid about 25 minutes of sound bites on this show of people freaking out, here is the worst of the worst. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. If we are complacent and don't do really aggressive containment and mitigation, the number could go way up and be involved in many, many millions. If we taught to contain, we could flatten it. So there's no number answer to your question until we act upon it. Just leveling with people. The president has said as recently as two days ago, this will go away. Yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci said you can expect millions and millions to get it. The worst is yet to come. Uh, Congress's own doctor said that a third of the American population could get coronavirus. Do you agree with, with that number? What do your experts tell you the number of infected Americans is likely to be? A number? I'm looking for a number if you have it. We know there will be thousands more cases of coronavirus Thousands or millions. Some people think this is just hysteria and media hype. I mean, the president himself said on Monday, the fake news media and their partner, the Democratic Party, is doing everything to inflame the coronavirus situation. So there are people out there who believe this, and they are going about their business like nothing's going on. And we have about 10, 15 seconds for you to get your message to them, for people who aren't afraid of coronavirus and think it's just politics and hype. Right after the president spoke, the Dow numbers just tanked. Tanked. What, what exactly did he say that caused that? The markets, investors, companies saw the president not assessing the risk. This is a public health crisis that thus far has been addressed with PR, 
with politics, trying to downplay it for whatever reason. And because of that, we are now facing an economic crisis. Just a few minutes ago, Savannah was pushing Vice President Pence for exactly this number. How many people could be uh, infected by the coronavirus as it goes forward? And he wouldn't go there. He just said, we're going to do more tests and we'll, we'll, we'll see how it comes. Here uh, in Germany, Angela Merkel leveled with the people. She said, look, uh, 60 to 70 percent of Germans could could end up being infected by the coronavirus. President's remarks last night, uh, you've called this his Chernobyl. Can you explain? Yeah, I mean, I think since the beginning of this crisis, the important thing for Donald Trump has been protecting myths around his alternative reality, which is to say that he has this completely under control. And in Chernobyl, what you had was a moment in which protecting the Soviet states' myths were the most important thing, and that caused people to die. And so I think what we need now is objective policy that is driven by evidence. It is driven by public health experts. It is driven by honesty and credibility. And unfortunately, what you've had for the last couple months is Trump playing catch up and trying to spin this as though it's a PR problem or an economic problem as opposed to a public health crisis that requires urgent leadership that he simply has not delivered so far. Brett? I mean, I've, I've made a similar point, and it goes deeper than just the way in which the president has handled this. I mean, this has been a truth-optional presidency from uh, the beginning, and when you have a uh, president, an administration, in which which so deliberately works to fray trust between the administration and uh, the country, what you'll end up in is a situation where you have some sort of emergency and nobody believes what the president has to say. I wrote a column about this last June, having no idea that we were going to be faced with the coronavirus crisis, just in the wake of the, the Chernobyl uh, HBO series making, making, this, making this exact point, which is that the president has so corroded trust that, that the moment when he needs it, it's just not there. People don't believe a word he's saying. To give a little context to that, Eli, three weeks ago the president did call this a hope. He said cases would go down to zero. That's obviously not what we're seeing. It's not what we heard last. I think there are areas of the country where there is real leadership. I think part of the problem right now is that um, when you traffic in um, lies and misinformation for a long period of time, the chickens coming home to roost right now with a lot of Americans on both sides. And I know that there's a group of people in the country, as we saw yesterday with Elizabeth Hasselbeck, who think, you know what, he's doing a great job and I believe him. And that's well and fine. But for those of us who, who know that reality. he lies from on occasion to lie about, again, a, a rally or numbers or things like that or how big your hands are, whatever, is an entirely different thing than lying about a possibly, um, you know, completely lethal disease that could yeah. kill yeah. God knows how many Americans. And I think for him, he and Jared and Ivanka and the entire White House should know this could be the silver bullet that takes out this administration. I don't mean that literally, so everyone yeah. calm down. Yeah. I mean just no, this a lot could of people the election yeah. are saying this is his Katrina. Vote. Everyone is scared. It's okay. Well. And to sit there like that and look so cavalier and lackadaisical, and the way he is saying it, he is not selling it. And that's why everyone's so freaked why out. Why do you right think now. that's true? I don't know. I because he's maybe, capable of doing that. I don't know. Well, maybe he just had Botox. No, he's and, just... And no, you know what it is? You've got Tom, Tom Hanks has the virus, and we have Forrest Gump in the White House. Now, I want to play a soundbite really quick. This, my wife got this from her We Are Italians group, because she's Italian, and I get to sneak in because she's my wife, even though I'm not an Italian. This is now viral, because the media picked it up. I think it was the Daily Mail picked it up. This is what they're doing in Italy. Complete lockdown, real pandemic, 
real reason to pandemic in a very populated small country. This is what they did. I think it was the night before. You, it wasn't last night. It was the night before. So it would be uh, Wednesday night. Now, it may seem hypocritical for a guy who does a podcast bashing the left and conservatives during this time, but I'm bashing them for their conduct that is scaring the public and affecting things that it shouldn't be happening. I'm Dr. Drew on this. It's serious if you're over 60. It's serious if you're my sister with a compromised immune system. But we should be coming together. We should be helping the elderly. We shouldn't be panicking. That's a block in Italy. They all sang together out their window. They can't leave their house. And their country did take steps. So people had money and food and things like that because they couldn't work. Instead, our leaders on the left played politics with it, drafted a partisan bill so they could get money for abortions for fuck's sake. And the media ignored it. They're not going to cover what Nancy Pelosi did. They did the sound bites I played. That oh, the Republicans. We're not coming together. We're fracturing, and it's pretty fucking sad. It's bothered me so much that I actually went to Facebook to see what people say, and there's quite a few people that were like me. Did a couple op eds. I planned on starting the show with an op ed, but I wanted to. Close on the heels of that soundbite because the Hill ran an article on the 12th, which was yesterday, Civility or Civil War? It was an op-ed. Many of the comments were similar to mine. Mine got liked a bunch, and I'd like to read it. My answer is it's Civility or Civil War. Unfortunately, I think we'll be in a cold civil war for the foreseeable future. The left has learned they can bully people, and since they own the media, physical and verbal attacks on opposition are condoned in the media. I'm 52. Every conservative president and candidate was a racist Nazi throwing mama off the cliff, and every Democrat president and candidate was the greatest gift to the country ever. Every Democrat I'm in has never been investigated or reported. Every GOP president has caused reporters to be tired, change their motto, and save democracy. We have ratcheted up from GOP is racist Nazis to anyone who votes, who doesn't vote for the DNC, is a racist Nazi, xenophobe, homotransphobe, and on CNN, all white men are terrorists. The roots also there. We have gone from wearing political garb as a choice. Now we have a media that supported and promoted Democrats saying to harass and run people out of restaurants that was on the heels of a president who didn't compromise and told his base to protest. So now we have BLM, Antifa, Women's March, and protests for every policy and direction. The bar is so low now with every investigation, every court blockage. 
Well, just multiply for the GOP. We'll do it now for a norm. Under Bush, criticism was the most extreme form of patriotism. Last presidency, we were told criticism was racist and disrespectful to the office of POTUS. Now the press works to embarrass the president on foreign soil, and as stated, everything is demeaned. The office means jack, and impeachment is a tool for both parties in the future. We'll use. Regardless, I'm an independent. By the way, both parties suck. But even I have found myself digging my heels, as I am told I'm a racist, terrorist, baby killer, sexist, homophobe, since I own guns and for third trimester abortion restrictions, and don't believe trans kindergarten instruction is needed. The left gets to bully. The right will learn how. We will just, we will just get worse. Hell, we're living worse. It's the Trump virus. And the media and Dems are hoping for a financial collapse and mass carnage from a virus so they can win the White House. Don't need to follow Trump's Twitter. I don't. You just have to watch one segment on CNN and MSDNC while they say this is Katrina, Chernobyl, and Iran hostage while smiling at the market crash. We are garbage country now, period. And it's just going to compost and get stinkier. And I truly believe that in my heart. I, I just believe it. That's That's what we are. It's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. To a different subject. U.S. women's soccer team makes statement during national anthem. They hide their U.S. soccer crest. Sports Center carried it like it was okay. The U.S. women's national team has taken the field with their warm-up jerseys inside out, hiding the U.S. soccer crest. This is a response to the latest legal filing by the U.S. Soccer Federation and gender discretion discrimination lawsuit filed by 28 U.S. players that was dissed because it wasn't real. Yeah. So, not only did they throw the flag on the floor, they turned their backs on the national anthem. Now they won't even wear the U.S. crest. Once again, how can they be heroes to the country media when they hate the fucking country? I'm just saying. And then lastly, I found this last night. This is a Tennessee teacher. This is what's wrong with our education system, plain and simple. I'm a first-year teacher, and sorry, I'm upset because I had kind of a rough day. Um, As I'm sure many of us who came here straight from school did, uh, I don't know if I can stay teaching forever, and that makes me really sad because this is not my first career. I came back to school to be a teacher, and I really love the students that I work with, and... Sorry. (laughs) Um, I thought I would have time to prepare a statement today, but I woke up early to work on grading, and then I got to school early because I host a club before school for uh, LGBTQ students, which I love, but it's hard because they often don't feel loved by the adults in their lives, so my days start off a little rough sometimes with them. Um, And then at planning, I had two different meetings, (laughs) <laughs> I heard a, I heard that, yeah. Um, and then at lunch, I had a student in my room. We were registering for high school classes today, and he had an anxiety attack about the transition to high school. And so I was sitting with him at lunch, um, so I didn't have time to plan statements. Um, <laughs> but I just think about how much was put on us. Um, and I know a lot of other new teachers, some of them 
do not have other like, career experiences like I have where, where they've gotten training in ACEs or de-escalation and they're struggling even more than I am because <laughs> we're not given any social emotional support really. I was so proud when I heard that Nashville is a city that embraces restorative practice. That was something really important to me when I was looking for a job as a new teacher. A lot of the teachers I've talked to who have been teaching much longer than me are frustrated by the restorative practice because they feel like they're given no support to make it happen. They've never actually been trained to do it. There's nobody in the building that can help them. Um, and so we're all kind of struggling through something that we believe in but don't know how to put in place and haven't been given support for. And then on top of that, we're going home and we're working more or we have a second job. I don't have a second job. I'm really lucky that I don't, but I also don't have kids or a house, and I don't know that I could have those things. And that makes me sad. Um, it makes me sad that I have to go home and order a whole bunch more pencils and journals on Amazon tonight because I have students that have like run out of spaces in their journals and are coming to class and saying, I can't do any more work because my mom can't buy me another journal. Um, or I don't have anything to write with today. And that's just basic materials. I also don't have enough copies of textbooks. Uh, I never have technology access in my classroom. My projector doesn't always work, so I don't even have that. And so I just think of someone who is new to this, who went back to school to do this, and I want to tell other people, like, you should be a teacher. I want to tell my students, you should be a teacher, but how can I do that when I feel like I can't keep doing it? Um, thank you. Thank you. If you could see the video in the background, the people are staring at our African-American mixed crowd like, what the fuck? It's Nashville. But that's the problem with everything in our society. From the coronavirus to schools, liberals can't let it alone. It's always got to be an agenda. It's not about teaching them how to read and write and get prepared for college or society. It's about social engineering. Every holiday, make it a fucking political statement. Every TV show, fuck your thoughts and prayers as we heard today. Every crisis, those people want you to die. We don't. But when given the chance to do something to get money, something the media and the Democrats push for, well, we campaigned off it, so held it for a while, and then we pushed a bunch of pork that helps abortions. It's an upside-down fucking world they live in. Think of all the things we could accomplish if Democrats could put their fucking swords down for five minutes. And yes, back in the day, Republicans used to do it. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right. But if you're saying there's a party now who politicizes everything, makes everything agenda-driven, and can't keep their fucking eye on the ball... It's progressives. Their eye is never on the ball. Their eye is on whatever agenda is of the day. It could be gay rights. It could be everything's racist. It could be feminist until they go back and say there's no gender. It could be illegals because we want them all to vote for us. 
everything's racist that the other side does. They don't care about people. They're throwing them off cliffs. You can't get shit a fucking accomplished like that. I think every fucking prog, every fucking both sides of the aisle need to look at that Italian video. It seems like simpleton logic, folks. But that country is like, hey, we're all in the same shit pile. Let's pull together. I've said it a million times on my podcast, 400 fucking episodes plus. When something big, big comes, we will fall apart. I just hope right now it isn't this. Because once again, it's not the virus. It's our reaction to the virus that could be our downfall. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Peace, feel free to share with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. I'm once again asking for emails, folks. I didn't get any. Matt in Oregon, Sean, send me something to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com or send me to my private email that you know that you did send it. I just didn't get it. Our next podcast will be the 18th of March, year of our Lord 2020. 18 March. Year of our Lord 2020. Until then, be safe. Don't hoard toilet paper. If you live in an affected area, stay away from crowds. Stay home. Watch some TV. A lot of good shows out there right now. I'm watching Gamora. Really good. That's a good show. Watch SEAL Team. Really good show. And if you haven't watched The Unicorn, binge that shit. It's on Hulu. It's really good. Unicorn's a cute show. Guy trying to raise his two kids. After his wife dies. Make sure to tune back in next Wednesday, folks, for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count.